What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Ben here to introduce this rip of rabbit hole recap. Rip 200 of our weekly show. We meet here every Thursday. At least try to meet on Thursdays. The show has lived on the TFTC feed throughout its first 200 episodes. However, as we've been announcing throughout the last few weeks, we are creating a separate feed for rabbit hole recap. Go to your favorite podcasting app, search rabbit hole recap, like, subscribe, give us a rating, a review to help us bootstrap that stream uh, on these apps to give it more visibility. We really appreciate all the support you freaks have given us throughout the years and really appreciate it if you could help us with the visibility of the new rabbit hole recap stream um, by by supporting it with likes, reviews, uh, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, all that, all that good stuff. Tell tell a freak, tell your local freak if they if they are unaware, make sure they are aware. Um, rabbit hole recap will have its own dedicated feed moving forward. We're gonna put episode two hundred here on the TFTC feed as well. Clean break next week. So 201 on rabbit hole recap feed only. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Are you, are you a high net worth individual? I know a lot of you are listening out there. Are you a business that wants to move some of your treasury to Bitcoin or already has a lot of Bitcoin but needs, needs help with custody? Our friends at Unchained Capital are here to help you. All right. They have their vault, which is a two or three multi-sig collaborative custody solution. They're here to give you consultations. I know that a lot of you have Bitcoin on exchanges, single point of failure. Coinbase is here. To, or, <laughs> I had somebody pop in. And I was going to say Coinbase is a single point of failure. And it made it sound like I was reading a Coinbase ad. I'm not reading a Coinbase ad. I'm reading an Unchained ad. If you're on Coinbase, especially if you have a significant amount of coin, call up our friends at Unchained. Hit them up. Say, hey, I need a consultation. How can I get on your collaborative custody model? The Unchained team is here to get you on board, okay? Go to Unchained.com. Check out their vault. Check out everything they have going on. Unchained.com. This trip is also brought to you by good friends at Brains. Brains. The team coming to you live from the Czech Republic. I don't think that's a Czech accent. But it's an accent nonetheless. Brains, the team behind Slush Pool, the oldest mining pool in Bitcoin's history. Stalwart of the industry. They're also the team behind Brains OS Plus Firmware, which allows you to stack more sats with your hash because it helps you produce more hash because it focuses on the high-frequency hashing boards over the low-frequency hashing boards. Also helps you with fan control. It's making sure that your ASIC is running as efficiently as possible so you can stack as many sats as possible. If you have an ASIC that's compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware and you are not running it, you are leaving sats on the table. It's as simple as that. If you run Brains OS Plus firmware on your ASIC and point your hash at slush pool, you're going to get 0% pool fees while you're, while you're hashing using Brains OS Plus firmware, pointing your hash at slush pool. You should go to insights.brains.com to get all the information you need about the mining industry, the state of the mining sector in one spot. Insights.brains.com for that. Brains, B-R-A-I-I-I-N-S.com uh, for everything they have going on. The, the firmware, slush pool, their blog, Insights is there as well. Brains.com is where you start. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. We're back with the Baltic Honey Badger Conference, which is in Riga, Latvia. 
September of this year, September 3rd and 4th in Riga, Latvia. I will be there um, speaking. I don't know about what yet, but I'll be there. And I like speaking. And hopefully it'll be productive for you freaks. Um, so there's going to be a whole week around this event. Uh, the official events, September 3rd and 4th. You go to BalticHoneyBadger.com to check out everything they have going on, the speakers that are going. You can buy tickets there. Um, right now, the full pass is 302.5 euros. The Euro Cuck Bucks, you can buy with that. You can buy with Bitcoin as well if you want to. They're using BTC Pay server um, to accept Bitcoin payments at BalticHoneyBadger.com. It's going to be a big conference, highest signal conference I've been to to date. The last time I went was in 2019 or 2018. I always forget, but I was there. It was incredible. Highly recommend. Hoddle Hoddle is a team behind that. They have their uh, decentralized exchange. They have their lending platform, which allows you to use your Bitcoin as collateral to get uh, stablecoin liquidity. That's lend.hoddlehoddle.com. Go check out the Baltic Honey Badger conference at baltichoneybadger.com. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by good friends at Crowd Health. All right. Are you an individual, a Bitcoiner? that is sick of the health insurance industry and, and how poor of a service it is. CrowdHealth is here to bring you healthcare crowdfunding to remove powerful insurance carriers from your healthcare and put decisions about your health back in your hands. I've decided to do this. I'm putting my health decisions back in my hands. I've joined CrowdHealth. I'm using it for my family. Healthcare cost. Uh, you put you pay a monthly payment. Uh, it goes into a dedicated bank account. That, that accrues value over time. When you have a medical expense, you pay the first $500 and then you crowdfund the rest of the expense with your crowd, uh, crowd health community. Uh, they've had 100% of their medical bills paid on the platform to date. They're adding a Bitcoin component to it where you'll pay your monthly fee um, for the first few months. Uh, it'll be strictly fiat, but after that, uh, they will begin putting a portion of your monthly payment into Bitcoin to hold alongside that bank account as well. Um, potentially speculative attack your future healthcare cost. Uh, CrowdHealth BTC is now accepting memberships starting June 1st and later. Use the code TFTC. If that doesn't work, try TFTC BTC during signup. And the first 1,000 members will receive a discounted membership of $99 a month for the first six months. Okay, first, so you got to get there fast. First 1,000 members. You get a $99 a month for the first six months subscription. Right now, the tiers are, uh, if you have children between the ages of zero and five, 225 bucks a month. If you just want to cover them, six to 54, it's 175 a month. Um, ages 55 to 64 is 325 a month. If you have a family of four to eight, it's $695 a month. Relatively cheap healthcare. Um, they negotiate on behalf of you, which the insurance companies are supposed to do, but they don't uh, do it too well. Um, CrowdHealth has um, a, a very good negotiating team and a, a very good network of doctors that actually want to use CrowdHealth and tap into their users because they get paid directly. It's a beautiful thing. Join CrowdHealth.com slash TFTC is the landing page. If you want to go check it out, use the code TFTC or TFTCBTC upon sign up. Again, the first thousand members are going to get $99 a month for the first six months. Enjoy this rip freaks. Good rabbit hole recap. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. 
If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. The lights of the nuclear bear market are blinding. We had to put our glasses on, freaks. Sunglasses till 100K? I think so. The laser eyes are hidden behind here. <laughs> you got to put, put shades on the laser eyes. Humble ourselves. I have to say that, you know, after, after the initial ball kick of of a Bitcoin crash passes, there's a, there's a nice serenity of, of, uh, of blood, you know, of just like blood in the streets, all the fair weather friends disappear. And you're just like back to like the core, the core rider dies. There's a, there's definitely a serenity moment there after the ball kick. Definitely. You know, watching watching your your net worth go down and purchasing power so significantly is a bit of kicking the balls. But after that, it's definitely a serenity feeling. Serenity now, serenity now. Do you feel it, freaks? It's here. The ball kick. I feel like I've got steel balls already. I didn't even feel the ball kick. This is why it's, it's those tight pants. Those tight pants you wear prepare <laughs> you for the ball kick. Again, it's not tight pants. It's large legs. Let's make this clear. Let's make this very you know they make the, you know they make multiple sizes, right, Marty? Yeah, but then they look weird, you know. <laughs> I still got that Brooklyn posh in me, okay? Need need to need to make sure the clothes are or they might be a little tight, but again, it's large legs, not tight pants. Bear market hits, got a spring for the Dale's Pale Ale. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I mean, we've been through this before. We started this in the depth of the bear market post twenty seventeen. In the fall of 2018, I mean, these are when the the best conversations happen when you have the diehards. It's when people say the uh, the building gets done. People can focus on building stuff that will draw people in or provide utility during during the bull markets and be like, hey, there's there's something here. They come in for the gains. They see what's been built and they're like, hey, this is actually pretty useful. So, cheers to you. Who knows how long we'll be in the bear market? I said I wasn't going to say it on the podcast, but probably going to have egg on my face at the end of the summer. Maybe decoupling the summer. Who knows? Stay humble, Marty. And again, I, I tweeted a couple of weeks ago. You said I jinxed. We went down to twenty six, but we're back up at thirty. <laughs> back up at thirty. I did. Now I'm going to cause another. What one. was the tweet? The tweet was, "Oh wow, Bitcoin's holding up pretty well, and and amid this macro chaos." Yeah. I will I, say that I. I mean, I, I know we don't like to talk about price on this show, um, but if we're going to talk about price, I, I'm i not sure if this is like the typical four-year cycle. I I kind of feel like we're just slaves to the macro landscape right now. Like stocks are getting absolutely skewered. Every stock in the S&P 500 was down significantly yesterday, except TJ Maxx. Um, Car pulled this like, up. We're just getting we're just getting pulled down with we're all TJ Maximalists now. <laughs> TJ this is Max. officially a TJ Max pod. TJ Max is my safety. 
Clark, pull that tweet I sent in the group. So this is interesting, like comparing the thoughts of decoupling, not that one. Uh, we'll get to that one later. I just put one in the in the chat. Um, the that thoughts heat map is crazy. Yeah, the thoughts of decoupling in my mind come from this very unique position the Bitcoin market finds itself in. So this is from Suzu, who recently uh, got blown out by Terra. Not blown <laughs> out, but he had to eat some losses. He he owned up to it on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, he also deleted the tweet that was like, you know, buy, sell your Bitcoin for USDT, stake it on Anchor for 20% or whatever, and he just deleted that tweet. Yeah. Yes, that's interesting. But I thought this tweet was interesting. Car, you don't need to pull up the chart, but it's just, uh, he points out a few things that are happening right now in the Bitcoin market in, in the midst of all this macro chaos. Uh, Bitcoin price has been down seven weeks in a row, which is the most in Bitcoin history. Like, will that continue? Will that hit eight, nine, ten weeks? Historically, that hasn't happened. Uh, we have the largest spot in derivative volume in a year uh, during the... Uh, Terra liquidation of 80,000 Bitcoin to 26,000. Uh, you have Bitcoin strength for stocks overnight, relatively Bitcoin stronger than the stocks that are currently dumping. The mare multiple, rest in peace, Trace Mare, wherever you are, um, is at all time lows. Despite what you think about Trace Mare, this multiple has been a, no peace, just rest, <laughs> has been a pretty high signal multiple. Throughout the history of Bitcoin, if you're it's like the single best price metric is the Meyer multiple, which is basically just the 200 day moving average, uh, the price relative to the 200 day moving average. Yeah, and that's approaching all time lows. And if you're trading off the Meyer multiple, the the adage is that you you buy when it's relatively low. Uh, well, and- that would be my main argument against the the four year cycle playing out again. Is that if you look at the Meyer multiple chart. Um, it just doesn't look like previous cycles on that chart. No, not at all. Not that I'm a big chart guy, but that's like the one. That's the one chart that I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit open to. I do pay attention to it a bit. Yeah, and then the last indicator that we may be seeing relative strength in Bitcoin compared to the traditional markets as they go into chaos is Asian hours are stronger than U.S. hours, which is typically another leading indicator of some strength on the way. So all this taken into consideration, I'm not going to say we're definitely going into a decoupling, but these are interesting data points that um, that I like to look at. And they do seed that idea. Oh, maybe a decoupling is on the way. But I would say that that like that's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of these things are confidence games. Um you know, markets are are fickle, and and if if we're talking about like true global financial chaos, you know, you kind of want Bitcoin to dump hard first and get rid of the weak hands, because if you have global financial chaos and Bitcoin's starting at like a strong support level because the weak hands have been washed out, then all of a sudden you can get those momentum weeks, right? Where just like week after week, Bitcoin's outperforming everything else, and then it becomes like a self self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, if, if we're sitting at like an all-time high when this happens, instead, you know, you get like a 70% decrease um, and you don't have that like narrative shift. You don't have that momentum. Yeah. So will that narrative shift come this summer? Because it seems like 
the traditional financial system is going to experience a lot of trouble, as we discussed last week, with the supply chain issues, inflation issues, rate hikes, all of that seem to be creating conditions for pain in the traditional markets where Dylan LeClaire was tweeting about the um, the high yield corporate debt defaults that are beginning to go up uh, earlier today. That's spiking to above 2018 highs um, and approaching a trajectory similar to that of uh, 2020 before we had the meltdown during the COVID lockdowns. Um, so yeah, things seem a little fickle over there. Bitcoin has right. some relative strength. Don't trade off of what Just I'm saying right now. Just stay on right stack sides, freaks. Always. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about trading before, um, if you want to talk about trading, I think, I think it was like 2015 or 2016 or something. Um, there was some bucket shop. I forget which bucket shop it was that allowed you to go long or short the S and P 500. And me and my buddy lost way too much money trying to short the S and P. And I mean, if you look at an S and P chart from from 2016, it fucking skyrocketed. Was that so the I mean, um, was that the one allow you to do with Bitcoin? Yeah. Is that when I say stock? money, I mean real money. I mean I mean coin. <laughs> What was that called? One stock or something like that? One one something. Yeah. That was a horrible idea. Yeah. I'm a horrible trader. I have no idea what's gonna fucking happen short term. Yeah. Just stay humble and stack sats. Stay humble, stack sats. Make sure you have cash flow too. Uh, obviously the economy is going into a downturn, but try to get as much cash flow as possible. So if the price does go down, yeah. you're able to stack. I haven't been watching CNBC, but I imagine like the TradFi guys are going, they're in like complete chaos mode, right? Like a 5% day, down day on S&P 500. Um, they must be freaking the fuck out right now. Yeah, I did actually turn on CNBC uh, yesterday and the day before just to see. It's kind of fun. What they were doing. They were they were freaking out a bit. Um a lot of people, it's funny, they have they have like these companies come on like pitch, like, no, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. It's like, are you? Not not so sure. You look uh, a little desperate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're, uh, the energy stocks are a big meme right now. Everybody's piling in energy. And the time to pile in the energy was probably last year or 2020 when, when oil went negative. That's probably when you yeah, should have. Stacking stats is piling into energy too. That's a good point. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, the real question is like, Marty, do you think, I mean, you know, the Fed kind of caused this. Uh, do you think they have the balls to crash asset prices further or are they just going to, I mean, they going to halt? No, I mean, Jerome Powell's come out and said that's exactly what he's willing to stomach to curb inflation. He's willing to sacrifice asset prices for. I really didn't expect that. Yeah. I thought we were going to do like a melt up type of situation because yeah. like you might as well just kick the can down the road so you don't get blamed with tanking everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they won't say it overtly, but they really have to hedge against social unrest and rising commodity prices, food prices, fuel prices affects the poor the most who don't own the assets. And so they're in this position where it's like, all right, the rich own all the assets. Uh, they have good salaries. Uh, maybe their stock portfolios are going to get hit a bit. 
but we're we're doing that to say the little man is paying a hundred dollars. Yeah, that's what's weird about it, right? Because yeah. usually the policy is fuck the poor's. Yeah, apparently that's changed. Because again, know, we'll you, you have to hedge. You have to hedge that social unrest. <laughs> like if you know, it's happening all over the world, you look at Sri Lanka, you look at Peru, you look at Turkey. If you haven't listened to the episode I recorded with Doomberg yet, I uh, did that yesterday. We go into a lot of the social unrest that's popping up around the world and talked about how it could come to the West. And I think Jerome Powell and company are recognizing that possibility. And I, I think, I mean, he came out and said it. They're obviously willing to sacrifice financial and real estate asset prices uh, to, to curb inflation at all costs. But again, like we said yesterday, uh, you, you can't, or not yesterday, last week, you, you can't just turn the stuff off and on. The supply chains are so fucked that as hard as they try via interest rates to curb inflation, uh, it's still not going to produce natural gas, oil, food, and bring it to market. The, the supply of those commodities is constrained to a point where it's inevitable demand static and rising. And the, the, the supplies simply aren't there. So those prices are going to continue to rise no matter what they do uh, with the interest rates. I mean, the only argument is if interest rates stay elevated and it leads to layoffs, you have less consumption throughout the economy. <laughs> so um, I guess that's the only tool they have. And so, uh, yeah, it seems like they're trying to incite um, an employment in that crisis, but maybe some unemployment so people stop driving to work and spending uh, I mean, when, on these scarce supplies. I mean, there's another dynamic at play here too, right? Because like, the average person is more exposed to stocks than they've ever been before, right? With like the advent of Robinhood and stuff. And like those people have gotten completely wrecked. Like their favorite stocks, like the, you know, their their favorite stocks are getting completely crushed. Like the Ubers of the world. And I mean, did you see Coinbase? Coinbase is trading like a fucking shit coin. Went from like $400 to 50 bucks, um, which, you know, if you dump shitcoins on retail too long, you become the shitcoin yourself, I guess. Uh, but the like, they're you're going into midterms. Feel like that has got to be a horrible look going into midterms, where everyone's just like their their whole portfolio balance is down a shit ton. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. I feel like they got a budge, but I don't know. It doesn't really matter to us, but. I'm just surprised. I, I will wholeheartedly admit that I just did not expect the Fed to be this aggressive about it. Yeah, I mean, they're in a very precarious situation. I mean, it's all fucked. Like, stagflation seems to be here. There's no, yeah, I mean, I, I accepted I, they were fucked. I just thought it was going to, you know, let's just pump asset prices while we're, while we're fucked. Yeah. No, that's the other thing, too. Like, those Robinhood traders, a lot of those people... Middle 2020, throughout 2021, bought into the work from home meme, bought Zoom, um, Slack, Netflix, Netflix, all that stuff. Netflix got wrecked. Um, I mean, I have a buddy who, fortunately, I got into Bitcoin. Um, so he has a decent Bitcoin stack. But like I was chilling with him like seven months ago um, before I moved. And he was like showing me his Robin Hood and he had like four different like Chinese electric car companies he found on on Reddit or some shit. It's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? You have no idea what these companies do, who runs them. Like what if you're gonna like 
what are you even thinking? So there's got to be a lot of people like that. Yeah, a ton of people like that. And then from the other side, from the investment side, I mean, I know you watch this because you shared it. Um, but David Sachs and um, Jeff Floor from Craft Ventures uh, made public a presentation they gave to uh, their portfolio companies at Craft Ventures, basically explaining the macro landscape and how startup and growth companies should be preparing for uh, economic turmoil. And they basically juxtaposed value companies, which is like energy um, and think people making hard assets versus growth companies, which is your your tech company, your Zoom, your Slack, your Netflix, and um, where they just like burn money for user growth. Yes, and even though the companies like Zoom and Slack are probably doing very well from a revenue standpoint, the markets are just flooding into these value plays. Um, I mean, Uber has never made a profit. Uber never. keeps saying like we're gonna reach profit with scale. Uber's in like every fucking city. And they're losing more money than they've ever lost. Like the only thing that scales up is their fucking losses. They yeah. have they've never figured out a way to make any money. Yeah. Which just, is so interesting, right? Because like if you're just a if you're just an average person who doesn't actually like look at numbers or anything, you would think that Uber is like a blue chip. Uber is like uh, you know, like an ExxonMobil of our time or like an IBM of our time. They're everywhere, right? You would think like they're the most solid company, but it's just all, it's just all a mirage. I mean, I it's spent a lot of bullshit. I spend a lot of money on Uber. They must be successful. Marty spends a lot of money on Uber, right? <laughs> like it's a good service, right? It's a, uh, I, I use Uber at least once a week. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah and I would, I would go find that. Craft Ventures presentation that David and Jeff gave uh, in the concept of burn rate and how to handle expenses and stuff like that if you're running a company. I think it was, it was very enlightening. Was we a, can put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll definitely. I'll, uh, Car, I'll put it in the Telegram. Just put it in the show notes when we actually post it to the podcast feed. Yeah. Speaking of the podcast feed, this is the first official week on the dedicated Rabbit Hole Recap podcast feed if you've already subscribed thank you for doing so if you're listening to this live on youtube on twitter uh, bitcoin tv wherever you're seeing this uh, and you haven't subscribed in your podcast ad please go search your podcast app please go search rabbit hole recap in your favorite podcast app and please subscribe like review uh, we do have i know store uh you've been you've been pinging me week in week out when you're going to get the splits up we got the splits up uh we've got Matt, myself, Car, Fountain, Podcasting Index. It's a and, fucking party. And OpenSats is getting 5% of the, the sets. I love the OpenSats move. Um, hopefully we're starting a trend there. I, the guy who does Talking in Bits um, also added a cut for OpenSats. Mm -hmm. So now we have three podcasts doing it. Um, OpenSats is, is, is just a reminder to the freaks is uh, the 501c3 nonprofit uh, that I co-founded to support open source developers uh, with Ben Price. Um, and we don't take any cut. We take zero, zero management cut. So 100% goes through to the open source devs. Um, so if we get a bunch of, if, if we get a bunch of uh, podcasts to just constantly be streaming sats to open source devs, 
that shit gets really powerful really quickly. Yeah. So I gotta I gotta figure out the splits on TFTC too. Um, we'll add open sats so that you're still getting sats from t- the TFTC feed. I just haven't changed it yet. So doubling up again. Are we posting this to the TFTC feed too for one last time or no? We can if you want to. We probably should, right? One last time. One last we'll time. Post it to both feeds for old time's sake. If you're listening to this on the TFTC feed, this is your last shot. Last shot. Please go like, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, tell other freaks that you know that like the podcast, uh, but may not be aware of this stream change. And it's a nice even cut. We'll get 200 episodes. This is rabbit hole recap 200. Hit two C notes here, freaks. Pretty crazy. Um, we'll have 200 on the TFTC feed and then we'll make the clean break starting next week, episode 201. Moving forward, we'll strictly be on the rabbit hole recap feed. We still need oh, to get fuck some- yeah, this is episode 200. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. We fucking did it. 200. 200. Now it's time to retire. <laughs> set up the feed, set up the streams, and we're done. I thought I, we, can- um, we canceled it last week. What are we doing here? <laughs> we just every week, every week until 100K, we're going to cancel the pod. Um, MJ Smith asked, why is Udi on the board of OpenSats? Uh, we have a nine-person board um, of of different, very strong Bitcoiners, and Udi is our diversity candidate. It's important for the ESG movement that we have a, a nice diversity board member, um, and Udi fills that role. Hey, you got to be diverse in these days. ESG is dying, though. By the way, it's great to see. <laughs> Definitely not doing it for ESG. The. Uh... Um, they had the he, whole, is, he is a different perspective, which is nice to have on the board. I will yeah, say that. Yeah. And he's way better offline than he is on Twitter. Yeah, very, very antagonistic on Twitter. And I don't agree. Yeah, I mean, he was pumping Terra. So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, let's get to Clark's dashboard. This is rabbit hole recap rip 200. We're currently sitting at $30,195. One cuck buck. Is going to get you 3,312 sats. We are at black block height 737,070. I caught a palindrome block the other day. Walked in here. Block clock had a palindrome block height up. I forget exactly what it was. I think it was 763367. Or no, it would be 736637. That's what block I walk in. Was able to snap a picture. It felt really good. It's fulfilling when you catch a palindrome block. And your Uncle Marty caught one this week. It, it felt extremely good. Uh, we have a difficulty adjustment coming up in 786 blocks, estimated to be happening on May 25th, which is next Wednesday. And as of right now, hash price is really low. So I, I imagine a bunch of miners have turned off. Uh, and so as of right now, we're looking at a negative 2.7% adjustment. Blocks have been coming in at 10 minutes and 17 seconds on average since the last adjustment. There are currently 16,691 transactions in Clark's mempool. Samurai unspent capacity is sitting pretty at 4,700.79 Bitcoin or 141.8 million cuck bucks. I believe this is a new all-time high or close to it. That's all we got for the dashboard this week. Um, Yeah, Whirlpool all-time high. Whirlpool all-time high. We are 56.3% 
off the all-time high of $69,010, according to Clark's dashboard. And I will add that, you know, I'm reading these comments, freaks. And I will add that Udi was on, added to the board before the Luna bullshit, before he took like a huge turn on Twitter, um, which I was very disappointed about. Um, and he has single-handedly raised, you know, like $600,000 for open source developers for the other foundations, not us, um, but for like Brink and HRF and whatnot. Uh, so he has done a lot of good work in terms of the funding of that. And uh, I respect that you guys don't trust him to make a sandwich. Um, that's what someone said. I wouldn't trust him to make a sandwich. Fortunately, in this arrangement, you do not have to trust any of the individual board members um, with, with the sats. Um, that's why we have nine of us. Um, so yeah, there's that. I mean, you shouldn't trust me to make your sandwich either. Uh, Evan thinks we look like feds with our shades on. We look like who? Feds? Yeah. Is this our Warren Canary is asking? No, we yeah. just, Evan, you missed the beginning. We're hiding our laser eyes. The We're the, spooks and we canceled the show. The nuclear winter is here and it's blinding us. We need to put our shades on. Should we get into the list? It's a long list today. Massive list. One of our longest lists. Yes, we'll start in El Salvador, where 44 countries, 44 financial leaders uh, met to discuss Bitcoin, among other things. I think we should caveat here that this meeting happens annually, and this year El Salvador was slated to host, and obviously with El Salvador being the first country to make Bitcoin legal tender and really leaning into Bitcoin, it, it makes sense that uh, having the opportunity to host, that they would use that to educate all these leaders from the global south about bitcoin um and it was, so it was, it was cool to see uh, they were down there in el salvador all these financial leaders central bank representatives treasury representatives from uh, these countries were learning how to use bitcoin and getting acclimated with the the concept of of opening their doors for people who want to use bitcoin within their countries what did you take from this Uh, I mean, first of all, I would caution people to, you know, cheerlead politicians. Um, but, uh, it's a pretty cool initiative from Bukele's, uh, perspective. Uh, it's obviously pretty insane from a Bitcoin perspective to have, you know, financial leaders from 44 countries all learning about Bitcoin at the same time in a country that has Bitcoin as legal tender. Um, I thought it was really cool that, and I mean, this wasn't by design. This was probably just who would accept his invitation. But they're all like low GDP countries. You know, they're they're developing countries for the most part. None of the big. Uh, there was like no G10 countries there. There was no G20 countries there. Um, it, it, so, from that respect, it's like kind of grassroots, uh, as much as like leaders of a country can be grassroots. But it, you know, that's kind of cool, you know, dichotomy of, of like a G20 meeting versus, you know, 44, 44 countries meeting in El Salvador to talk about Bitcoin and uplifting their economies. Yes. Also, the IMF must be fucking freaking, freaking out over this. Good. Fuck the IMF. They should be freaking out. They are. So that's a huge win. <laughs> and again, if during yesterday's episode with Doomberg, he discussed the fact that with all this commodity inflation, essentially what the U.S. is doing, having the reserve currency of the world, they're exporting inflation to other nations. The dollar has 
relative strength in FX pairs across the board uh, because of this commodities inflation and the fact that the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the world. Even though we do have very high inflation here in the U.S., it is uh, precipitously worse in many other countries and countries outside that are beholden to the U.S. dollar's reserve status. So uh, with these countries meeting, it's a good sign to see that they're learning about Bitcoin because uh, if they want to protect themselves against that exported inflation in the long run, uh, Bitcoin is a, is a perfect vehicle to do that. <laughs> 21 million sound money, blah, 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 blah. And so these are the countries that are getting fucked over by the reserve status of the U.S. dollar and the uh, the policing of the world that the U.S. does. And so learning about Bitcoin while they're importing all this inflation uh, is probably unique timing and is a very interesting development in terms of the potential for light bulbs to be going off in, in these leaders' heads. So... Um... MJ, MG Smith mentioned he was confused by the the map that Bitcoin Beach posted and then Bitcoin Magazine posted because it seems to imply um, China and Russia were there. That China and Russia were there. They like grouped in countries that have already had positive comments about Bitcoin that weren't necessarily there. So neither China or Russia were there. Um, the list is Paraguay, Angola, Ghana, Nambia, Uganda. Guinea, Madagascar, Haiti, Burundi, Eswatini, Jordan, Gambia, Honduras. He's going to read all 44. Madagascar. I already said Madagascar. Maldives, Rwanda, Nepal. Maldives. Kenya, Maldives, Pakistan, Costa Rica, Ecuador, El Salvador. Well, obviously El Salvador. Angola, Armenia, Bangladesh, Congo, Egypt, India. Some of these are repeated twice. Senegal, Sundan. That must be Sudan. Uganda <laughs> is a misspelling. Zambia, Zambia. So all developing countries. The grassroots of countries. It's good to say. It's good to see. You like to see people uplift themselves. In Bitcoin can be a vehicle to do that. What do you think? Do you think we get any announcements out of this? You think people are stewing on this? They got their lesson. I don't, know. don't speculate on it. When it happens, it happens. Certainly not speculate. Suddenly. And like you said, like don't rely on politicians. Like legal tender law is cool, but as we discussed with Craig and Wiz during our live show in Miami last month, I, I do prefer to see more grassroots than uh, I would like. Pers- would like to see more grassroots adoption as opposed to companies just being like it's legal tender, forced to use countries. it. Um, countries, yeah. The but the um, story of El Salvador is a grassroots story. It's a story of a grassroots movement <clears throat> that couldn't be ignored by their president anymore, and he had a choice of either fighting it or adopting it, and he chose to adopt it. Agreed there. Agreed there. But I really like hyper localizing the economies. Like this 100%. weekend, this weekend in Texas, Rockdale which is the home of Riot's Windstone facility. They're hosting their first Bitcoin meetup. I believe the mayor is going to be there. The local judge is going to be there. And they're really talking about how they can 
uh, integrate Bitcoin into their local economy. And so that stuff like that, I like to see it at the the small town level. Um, and if you're interested in that topic too, I had uh, Jamie, the storefront guy uh, on the show on Monday, who is, has really interesting stories from Ecuador, experienced hyperinflation there, recently moved to the United States to help small towns and small companies basically beautify themselves with with beautiful storefronts and he also happens to be a bitcoiner uh, and not only is he helping to make urban development more design beautiful design focus but he's trying to help these small businesses and small towns integrate bitcoin into what they're doing so uh, these are uh, let's hit it from both ends let's get these legal tender laws uh, and let's get uh, grassroots movements at the local level so hit them from all angles, freaks. Speaking about all angles, I don't know how we've segue with all angles here, but I'll try. Uh, the Luna Foundation did sell 80,000 Bitcoin amid the stablecoin crash. Um, the angle uh, of their treasury went straight down um, from 80,000 to, I believe, like 363. They went from 80,300 Bitcoin to 300 Bitcoin. Yes, and they completely failed at defending the peg. So presumably, so first of all, they haven't released any actual transaction info to prove this stuff. A lot of, but a lot of theories floating around. There, there are some sleuths that have, have tracked up to like forty thousand of the Bitcoin going to Gemini, and then a transaction that looks like it was them sending from then from sending from Gemini to Binance. Um, but this is mostly, you know, the Luna Foundation's uh, word. Um, Luna Foundation is obviously is is what is is pretended to be the independent foundation that was backing the Luna ecosystem. And the Luna ecosystem is what the Terra stablecoin was on that blew up um, that we talked about last week. So as it was blowing up, um, they allegedly took this eighty thousand Bitcoin and they were buying. Uh, the stablecoin with it, the so-called stablecoin with it, to try and get it back up to the dollar that it was supposed to hold, um, and obviously that was a massive failure, and it's you know it's basically zero now, um, and Luna's absolutely crushed, and they have no reserves. My pet theory is that this that there was an exit scam that took place here, that that that, and I have no proof, but it just feels right. So I will, I will, I'm not saying this is a fact. You're going to trust um, that gut though. But when they were buying, so, so that part of their mission, you know, this Luna foundation, they call themselves the Luna foundation guard. So it was let's fucking go LFG. Um, part of LFG's mandate was to make sure that the UST peg in times of crisis was defended. And so part of that mandate is to buy UST in times of crisis. Now, presumably uh, the founder of Luna, Duquan, and his his buddies all held a ton of UST. So while the crisis was happening, um, they could presumably sell their own UST to the foundation for Bitcoin and claim that it's part of the mandate, and then they get to walk away with Bitcoin while the whole ecosystem collapses. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what fucking happened. I mean, it doesn't really matter to us. Uh, if you're a Luna bag holder, it probably matters to you. Um, I mean, it definitely matters to you. 
But I just, I find it hard to believe that they just, you know, basically threw away that 80,000 Bitcoin. Um, I have a feeling we'll see some things come out that shows that like a bunch of insiders, including Duquan, got a, got a significant stake of that 80,000 Bitcoin and sold UST to the foundation as a result. Yeah, it should be pretty disgusting if true. I mean, it is weird how a lot of these funds, I believe Pantera came out and so they got out unscathed. They said more than that. They went from 1.7 million to like 140 million dollars. They like made fucking 100x. More than 100x. No, no, less than 100x. Nearly 100x profit. Yeah. It, it's yeah. there seemed to be some like insider favoritism that went on. In regards to this, it seems like I, I believe I saw an article earlier this week that that Do Kwan guy is going to get dragged in front of the South Korean um, government to to explain what happened. He's he's from South Korea. Yeah, it the Koreans are usually on top of this shit. I mean, they've come down hard on a bunch of uh, people in in South Korea, companies and people that have have committed fraud over there. Um, they're pretty sophisticated. Yes, very sophisticated country in South Korea. Uh, so yeah, he's going to get dragged in front of their government and have to explain himself. And it'll be interesting to see if the pressure of that moment forces him to cough up uh, some information regarding these theories that are out there. Dude's like, like having seen videos of him throughout the past week, it's like, how could anybody take this guy seriously? There was one where he was like, he started like a Terra, Terra. Yeah, and he was like, I'm chat. the Big Connect guy. I sound like the Big Connect guy. I'm going to stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like, uh, signals freaks. He also like three days before the crash happened, he was on like Darabit's podcast and he was like, yeah, 95% of projects are going to die, but it's going to be fun watching them die. Yeah. And like three days later, his fucking, his whole fucking ecosystem blows up. There's some scumbags out there, freaks. Be aware. Stay humble. Stack sats. And if it sounds too good to be true, which Tara obviously did, I mean, we called it out pretty early, or like February of this year. It's probably too good to be true. Moving the whole on. The yield thing is like the weirdest fucking thing that people are just like. It's an overt Ponzi. I mean, they admit it. That everyone is just doing like these insanely risky things to get, you know, 10 to 20% yield. When instead they can just hold the hardest asset that's ever existed and watch it increase in purchasing power over time. Like why, when you have Bitcoin, you don't need fucking yield. Yeah. Your yield is that increased purchasing power. But hey, people are going to get burned. Did you see Nova's letter? He was like, the tattoo will be a reminder that, because he has a Luna tattoo. He's like, the tattoo will be a reminder that investing requires humility. Fuck that dude. I mean, I saw that he wrote a letter. I didn't even have the the appetite to read it because uh, I mean, I saw some excerpts like crypto is here to stay. It's like, shut the fuck up, dude. It's like clowns like that. I mean, go listen to the first episode I recorded with Ben Hunt. I believe I did too. Uh, the one I had James O'Byrne on for when we recorded that in Nidigs, or excuse me, not Nidigs, Chain Code Labs offices in New York City. Ben came in and that was one of the first things they love him or hate him. I know he's a skeptic and a lot of people don't like his skepticism, but one of the things he said during that episode was that Novogratz was a raccoon and somebody that people should 
approach with caution or not try to cheerlead because uh, he doesn't really care about the revolution at the end of the day. He's in it for himself. Um, ate shit on the Luna trade. He's trying to save face. Didn't tweet for about two weeks. Um, yeah, just be aware, freaks. Be aware. On to some better news. Uh, Texas Pacific Land Corp announces Bitcoin mining venture with Jay Energy and Mawson. Um, Largest private landholder in Texas. Yeah, so this is... Um, this is a big fucking deal. This is a very big deal. Um, so they own... Uh, where, where is it? I just had it up. <clears throat> I believe they own something like 800,000 acres. It's either eight or 800,000. 880,000 uh, acres of land in West Texas. And so for you freaks who aren't aware of how the oil and gas industry works, uh, essentially you have landowners who own the land and a lot of the times they own the minerals under the land, natural gas and oil, uh, which the Texas Pacific Land Corporation does. They're, they're landowners. Obviously they own 880,000 acres of land and uh, the way the oil and gas industry works you own the mineral rights you own the land uh, essentially what you do is you lease that land out to oil and gas operators who will then come and operate to actually drill the wells and push that oil and gas into pipelines to deliver to market and they get a lion's share of the revenue for coming in and actually extracting those minerals and getting them to market but the landowners get what's known as a royalty uh, typically it's anywhere from like 12 and a half to, I believe, 25% in some instances. Um, so essentially, traditionally, oil and gas companies will come extract the extract those resources, sell them to market, and then the royalty owner, the landowner, gets uh, a 12 and a half percent cut of that revenue for selling it to market. And so that's one way to get revenues on your royalties another way and i'm not sure if this is exactly what's going on but this is what seems to be going on you can either sell have a oil and gas operator sell that to market and get your 12 and a half percent royalty check off those revenues or you can take 12 and a half percent of those uh, minerals in kind and then do what do with them what you want and i think this may be the case or i could be wrong don't take my word for it but it seems like Texas Pacific Land Corporation is teaming up with Jay and Mawson uh, to take some of those minerals in kind, natural gas specifically, to mine Bitcoin with. Um, and so there's a three-way partnership here. Shout out to the team at Jay. Uh, I know Justin and Ryan, who recently left very well, very hard workers, are incredible humans. Um, not so familiar with Mawson, but I do know that they, they do build very good infrastructure. They've been around for a bit. They're based out of Australia but do have some operations here in the U.S. Um, so this is a really cool partnership, a very strong signal that the oil and gas industry is is thinking about Bitcoin mining very seriously, having a large mineral owner uh, it, like the Texas Pacific Land Corporation stepping in and potentially, again, I'm not sure exactly the mechanics of, of what they're doing uh, in the back end, but just having been around, it seems to me like they're taking their minerals in kind and using them to mine Bitcoin because they think they can make more money mining Bitcoin than than they would off the royalty checks from delivering it to market. TPL is also a massive, uh, they're publicly traded and so is Mawson, but Mawson's much smaller, but TPL has got a pretty high market cap. Um, off the top of my head, I want to say it's a like $50 billion market cap. Um, the, 
my understanding was that they already like have agreements with a bunch of like energy producers. And this is just going to be like one of those agreements that they're not actually hands-on like TPL is not actually hands-on. They're just getting paid out of fiat royalty or whatever. Yeah. That, so, so they have the producers, the producers are selling their oil and gas that TPL typically, technically owns they have like wind turbines too and shit right and like solar they have a whole like tpl has a whole esg page hate to see it but you know what to each of their own uh again the way again knowing that they're 10 billion dollar market cap for tpl apologies yeah. freaks tpl and j will earn a net royalty interest and retain an option to acquire an equity stake Mawson intends to participate in demand response programs yeah, so I don't know exactly. What we do know is that this, this is a pretty big deal in terms of TPL stepping in and allowing Moss and NJ to to mine with their resources. So, pretty big news. Seems like a pretty big deal to me. Pretty big signal in the market this week, in this bear market. Um, another strong signal. Wasn't expecting to see these types of numbers from Canon, but uh, it actually does make sense when you think about uh, the the big mining meme that's happened uh, over the last year and a half uh, with energy companies getting in a mask. Canon revenues increased by 237% uh, in Q1 of this year. Uh, obviously, Bitmain and MicroBT are the two big players in the market, but Canon is also uh, around. They have been around for a while. And I imagine with supplies of what's miners in Bitmains being a bit constrained due to the supply chains and the the high demand for their machines, uh, the rest of the market looking to pour into mining as has been pouring into K9 as well. Um, so what they, are the K9 miners even called? I believe Avalon. Are they Avalon? Oh, they are Avalon? I believe so. And they've but, been around forever. I don't know anyone who's actually using them right now. Do you know people who are using them? Uh, there's some people out there. I mean, obviously, their fucking revenues are pretty fucking high. But you yeah. personally know people? Um, uh, yes. I mean, you don't have to say who they are. I'm yes, just curious. I do. I do. You I actually know people have are using. Yeah. yeah anecdotal they, evidence. Yeah. They produce the Avalon miners. They're um, not as efficient as what's miners and S9 and ant miners, excuse me. But um, they do the job if you have a low electricity cost and you're efficient with your operation, they, they can be profitable. Um, not as profitable as what's miners and... Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the miners. market prices all these things, right? So... Yeah. Um, you should get a bit of a discount on it. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting to see. A lot, a lot of things going on in the mining sector. As we said in the beginning of the episode, the bear markets is when a lot of building gets done. We're seeing a lot of mining infrastructure get built out. The TPL news, Canon, obviously has extreme demand right now. Um, so these are good signals uh, that, that you can use to really hone in on the fundamentals of Bitcoin and what's going on. You know, the in infrastructure is getting built out at the mining layer. It's becoming more robust. You have more players at that layer uh, succeeding, which you like to see increased competition. Um, very good signals in my mind. Um, and then sticking on mining, Cambridge Institute released yet another report on uh, geographical distribution of hash rate. 
I'm just going to say it up front. Like, I don't trust these numbers at all. Well, the next article I put on the list right afterwards is like, these numbers are flawed by yeah. Zach Bull. So, I mean, I think, I think it's important to cover both. Um, I will say that, that Cambridge, um, they try hard. Yeah. They're, they're one of the few outfits that actually gives a comprehensive attempt at, at the Bitcoin mining landscape. When their last numbers came out, they had China at 0%. And we said that was bullshit. Um, now they have China at what, like 23% or something, number two. But I was like kind of pissed off at them that they kept their old chart. So like it looks like China went to zero and then back up to 22. Um, when that was, you know, China never went to zero to begin with. Um, so that part kind of pissed me off. Um, they did get some mining pools to buy in this time and give them direct mining pool information. Um, one of them is Foundry, and Foundry, you know, is a fully KYC outfit, so they have a really good idea of where the miners are located because they, they have them all cucked. Um, so they they released the U.S. numbers, which are kind of cool to look at with a grain of salt. I mean, you should look at it with a grain of salt. Um, but but Georgia came in like super high, like the U.S. state of Georgia. Yeah, I believe there's a nuclear uh, facility. Like 30% of American hash rate was in Georgia. I mean, that's where Blockstream's operation is. I believe there's a nuclear facility down there. 30% seems a bit high, though. Yeah, like I said, grain of salt. But still, I mean, what was... Uh, like, just relative to, every, to all the other states, uh, it was, like, pretty significant. Regardless, I, I think... A safe takeaway can be that Georgia has significantly more hash than people realize or give it credit for. Um, just because, I mean, I wasn't really. Another theory that people had was that um, I think Core Scientific and Clean Spark are both in Georgia, um, and they disclose a lot more numbers, so it could be overrepresented for that reason. Yes, <laughs> but anyway. Um, in the show notes is a article by Zach Vol, who kind of goes point by point about why you can't really trust these numbers and don't take too much from them. Yeah. Um, but shout out to the dudes at Cambridge for making an attempt. It is yeah. it is very interesting. Uh, it's 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 an interesting concept, right? Which is where is the hash rate located in the world by region? Yeah, and again, so this is essentially a survey that's voluntary. So, you know, there's certainly some information here. Uh, there's definitely some things going on in this area, but it's not, I want to say it's uh, holistic in terms of like... So they have Georgia at 30.76% and then they have Texas as number two at 11.2% and then Kentucky. We'll see how that changes with these two exahashes or three exahashes that uh, this Moss and Jay and TPL two exahashes they want to they want to add. So interesting stuff. Be aware again. Mining very big theme right now. Hash prices back up to like thirteen cents. Uh, yeah. Hash value is interesting. If you so hash price is the price per terahash per day that you can make uh, off of. Bitcoin mining that fluctuates obviously as the the price of Bitcoin fluctuates if difficulty 
is going up, price is going down, that hash price is going to fall. But the other metric that's coupled with that is hash value, which is the amount of sats that you'll mine per day, per terahash. Uh, and it was interesting over the last two weeks, uh, obviously we saw the mempool fill up and fees go up for a bit there. I believe we hit on average, uh, the highest I saw on the block clock was like 14 million sats. Yeah, because Binance spanned the chain when we were dumping, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was interesting. If Don't you, read too much into it. I know, but if you go to insights.brains.com and you check the hash price versus hash value over the last month, uh, there was a bit of a dislocation there. And that's just you like... You see the spike, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're making more sats per day, but the price is going down, so you're making less dollars per day. And it, it, it's an interesting dynamic there and that really highlights, like, what are you after, sats or or dollars? Um, so before just we, interesting yeah. tidbit there. Before we move away from the Cambridge thing, I just wanted to say at least by Cambridge's numbers, once again, don't take them at face value. They had the order US, China, and then Russia. Yeah. Like we said, I saw that freak... Um, In terms of hash rate. That you were going back and forth with when we when we uh, had our conversation in May of last year. Or was it last year? Yeah, the Money Man was last year. I gave him 100,000 sats for finding the episode. Mm-hmm. May 25th, uh, 2021. We talked about it. it was when the mining band was starting. You said, "What? What was? What did you say in that episode?" I went back and listened. Did you listen to it? I listened to the part. It was around the thirty-minute mark. Um, did he give us a timestamp on it? No, right? He did thirty minutes, around thirty yeah. minutes in, like right before we got like twenty-nine thirty. If you're interested in going back and listening, uh, but I was, I was convinced that the exodus was happening. You were saying, uh, "I'm not sure if it is." I think we were both like meeting in the middle. There certainly was an exodus throughout the summer. We learned that a lot of the Chinese miners um, were... I mean, you were doing like a lot of rah-rah America things at the time in terms of like miners coming to America. I don't know. I haven't re-listened to it. I gave the freak 100,000 sats for finding the episode. But if I you go listen to it, it, I listened to it today. I was pretty level-headed. I was just saying, hey, this is happening. It's coming to America. Maybe that's better. Well, anyway, the single coolest, one of the single coolest aspects of Rabbit Hole Recap being a weekly show is that we literally can go back at any time and see what our perspectives were um, at that time. And I think that's extremely powerful and extremely helpful in terms of improving your perspectives going forward when, when things like this come up. Yeah. And talking business on air, that's one thing we can improve here and should probably aim to is like creating chapters in each episode. So it's much easier to go find these timestamps. Um, I just want to shout out that dude that he found it. Um, I think he's at Green Pepe or something like that. Um, he found it. I to- He originally thought it was a bet. I was like, if I won the bet, I'll give you a cut of my winnings. And he found it. He was like, it wasn't a bet. Um, and then... He was like, you were both wrong, but both right. And then I was like, I'll give you 100,000 sats anyway. So then I sent him 100,000 sats, and then he sent it to OpenSats. So cheers to him uh, for supporting open source developers. Let's go. Yeah. So that was at the beginning. We learned a lot throughout that. Uh, Had Edward Evenson on, and he described sort of Chinese culture. And if you remember what was going on around that time, it was the 100th anniversary of the CCP. And the theme of the anniversary was harmony. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party basically asserted that uh, Bitcoin mining was not harmonious with what the uh, CCP wanted to put out to their 
constituency or their um, uh, constituency isn't the right word since it's a communist party. They're more um, subjects. They're subjects, yeah. Um, but um, Edward came on and basically described, all right, like after the CCP celebrations, that, that whole harmony meme will probably die out like four to five months after the celebration, which I believe happened in October of last year. And he stated at that point that there was a bunch of miners in China who were just holding ASICs and warehouses waiting for that to, uh, that celebration to come and then some time to pass after it. And then they were going to replug in and that's, again, can't confirm Cambridge is saying that there's a material amount of hash rate in China, but if that story is played, did play out, um, it's an interesting theory that they were just waiting for that that celebration to pass and then plug back in, which is potentially what what we're seeing or what Cambridge is seeing in those numbers. The hash yeah. never left. I mean, a lot of hash left. I know, but the hash that's there right now, they didn't no, leave yeah. and come back. Yeah, no. Yeah, agreed. Um. I mean, some of the hash left for Kazakhstan. <laughs> they had to leave Kazakhstan too, but yeah. that's a whole different story. Come on in. Come on in. Oh, we're going to raise prices and taxes. Rug pull. Uh, this is pretty messed up. Tutanota has a blog post uh, basically warning their users that uh, the EU wants to scan all their private um, messages. So the EU Commission is planning to an automatic uh, CSAM scanning of your private communications or total surveillance in the name of child protection. Uh, they're to saying this would be the worst surveillance apparatus outside of China and completely disproportionate. Um, so yeah, they're EU for you European freak subjected to this. This will probably pass. Yeah, I mean, the, is EU's, my understanding. the EU is pretty fucked. Um, Look, this is exactly why, uh, first of all, criminals are going are not going to listen to these rules anyway. They're going to get around it. So it doesn't actually stop criminals. It just hurts law, you know, honest, honest people, honest people that are doing nothing wrong. Um, and which is a trend, which is a trend with these types of government regulations, right? They're not effective and they hurt honest people. Um, but this is why open source software is so important. This is why the open source movement is so important because open source software is viral. It's not controlled by any individual or company. It's fucking code. And that code can be shared, distributed, and is very, very difficult to stop. And this is why this whole concept that I've been drilling in about, about using more open source software, using more open source platforms, using de-Googled Android phones right? Running open source software on top of that is so important because this law goes and passes. If you're running a stock iPhone or an Android phone, like you're going to be every, every private message you send is going to be, is, is going to be scanned and, and surveilled on. Um, the only way around it is if you are, 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 are purely running, you know, open source software and 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 you're basically choosing to run programs that you know are protecting you. Because otherwise, like iMessage and shit is just gonna be completely surveilled. And I do wonder like where does like the signals of the world stand when this happens? Um, do they pull from the app stores in the Europe European Union? Do they fight it? Do they release a separate APK? Because I mean you can just install a separate APK. Do they I mean, signals attached to phone numbers. Do they block EU phone numbers? 
Um, so it should be interesting to see how this plays out, but this is not good, but people should expect more of this. Like the surveillance is going only one way. Like never in my life have I seen the surveillance reduced. Just keeps getting added on top of. You have to take control freaks. Another interesting thing about this story, a bit of a narrative violation. Uh, so, oh yeah, go on. So here's, um, here's the EU's basically explanation for why they want to do this. As mentioned, detecting quote-unquote grooming would have a positive impact on the fundamental rights of potential victims, especially by contributing to the prevention of abuse. If swift action is taken, it may even prevent a child from suffering harm. And there's more after that, but the, the narrative violation I want to point out is the whole grooming concept here in the United States. Obviously, OK Groomer has become a massive meme and a lot of people in the mainstream corporate press are trying to say that the, like grooming isn't happening, like is, this stuff isn't happening. Like, that yeah. yeah. With, I, like, I mean, I wouldn't say that's a narrative violation just because even before that was happening in America, or at least this most recent movement in America, like this has always been the argument. The argument is either is the, the argument is either we're going to take your rights and surveil you to protect children, or it's to stop terrorism. Those those are the two main arguments that they use for most surveillance. Um, so they're very consistent on that. Like there's, you know, when the UK added, like when when you when you start to see these laws get passed that say you need to use an ID to go onto websites and stuff, it's usually they say to protect children or or terrorism. Um, we have Kita in the comments asking, uh, would they be able to surveil signal message or other end-to-end encrypted messages? That's the whole point. The whole point is what they want is they want a client side solution similar to what iMessage did and then rolled back when iMessage got a lot of shit for it. That basically is supposed to scan scan your messages locally, even if they're encrypted. And then if a flag comes out, then transmit it to whatever authority is in charge. Um, so it's essentially a, a backdoor into end to end encrypted apps. Um, obviously they can do that in, uh, closed source apps very easily. They can do that in centralized open source apps like signal. They can force them to implement something like that or force them to pull out of the market. Um, but if you have open source apps, uh, that, that you manually install yourself that aren't controlled by a company or an individual, uh, obviously like encryption still works. Like they're, they're, they're basically doing regulatory pressure on, on centralized third parties that can be choked out. That that's that's the strategy. That's always the strategy. And this is why I say like it doesn't stop criminals because criminals will just go out of their way and sacrifice some convenience for more private communications because the encry- encryption is already out there. If, if someone wants to use encryption, they can use encryption. But the average person who has a Samsung phone or an iPhone or something, they have you know they have pretty much no idea of of the threat model here they have no idea of the risks involved of this type of surveillance um and most of them could give two shits so they're not going to go out of their way to use a more secure method yeah another thing just popped into my head too like if the, if these back doors are installed it seems like an incredible entrapment tool too <laughs> like you can take somebody's phone or gain remote access to somebody's phone, send some grooming messages and entrap them. It seems like an easy way. Oh yeah. I mean, that's always been the case. Yeah. Seems like they're just trying to make that easier. 
Beware, freaks, EU freaks, I feel for you. Um, even though it's happening in the EU now, who's to say it won't happen here in the United States? I mean, if you guys remember, you know, a lot of officials were pushing these type of backdoors here in the United States under the Trump administration only a few years ago. These despots, these kleptocrats want this stuff. Uh, they do not want you to be free. They want to surveil you. They want to, again, you need to be nannied. You don't have any autonomy. You are a child. You need your hand held. And while, while we have this moment, too, I would just say, uh, keep in mind if you're an iPhone user, if you're backing up your iMessages to the cloud, all of those are, are easily read already as it stands right now. No new law needs to be passed. And it doesn't have to just be you. It could be the person you're messaging. So just make <laughs> sure you don't have the auto auto backups set on your iMessage. And iMessage is closed source, so we can't actually verify that everything's encrypted. And there's no backdoors there, but at least disable the cloud backup. Same, I think same with WhatsApp. WhatsApp might have added encryption to their cloud backups, but I don't for a while that. they were clear text cloud backups. So I don't think Facebook's really... Keep that in mind. Really keeping your privacy top of mind. And also Telegram's not encrypted by default. Uh, so if you've been sending Telegram messages, those are all held on Telegram's cloud servers and can be accessed at will. Um, Telegram does have a secret chat functionality that is encrypted, but uh, they're using a proprietary encryption, which is generally frowned upon. You should use more standards with this stuff like Cryptography is 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 not easy math, so that's why people use standards in the first place. Um, yes, listen to if the. If you're meme. looking for good encrypted apps, I like Signal. It does require a phone number, but it's just really easy to use. It's a nice trade-off balance uh, because people are used to phone numbers. If you're using an Android phone, you could actually set it as your main text client. So if someone's using Signal, it auto uses Signal. Otherwise, it sends a plain text text message. Keep in mind, text messages that are not sent through like iMessage. Um, that are just regular text messages. When you see the green bubble between an Android and an iPhone, um, not only are those not encrypted, like the carrier and like everyone in between can read those. They're like postcards going through the internet. Um, Threema is really good on phones. I like their model. It's a paid model. You, you, you basically pay them to use it rather than them monetizing off of ads. Um, and I really like Matrix. Matrix has just been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Matrix is great because you can do group chats really easily. It's not tied to phone numbers. They have a good desktop client. Um, yeah, and, and what BTC Pen said is, of course, you can use PGP with any messaging service, uh, but nobody uses PGP. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good app on uh, Android that makes PGP really easy, though. I think it's called... I don't know what it's called. I have it on my phone. What's it called? Open Keychain. Oh, and your your Twitter DMs are not encrypted either, so keep that in mind as well. Maybe Elon's going to change that. He seems to want to. He's Let's... not going to buy Twitter, it looks like. It looks like he's backing out at the last second. You see, he's like yeah, making this fuss about the number of bots. Yeah, should we talk about that? Like, what's going on? Did you see the Project Veritas video this week? No, that one. Was, oh, yeah, that one I was saw pretty that one insane. Where, where they were talking about censorship and shit. Yeah, and, uh, and how there's two videos. One, and we don't have to get political, but I'm just saying what 
these Twitter employees were saying the first was like a head of engineering or a senior engineer saying that the politics of Twitter uh, in the middle management section is overtly leftist, communistic, uh, and that they do censor. I didn't see this one. They do censor so particular political views that do not uh, comport with what uh, the, the communist at Twitter believe. Uh, and then there was a second one. Uh, the guy was, I believe, the head of partnerships of their ad partnerships. Uh, that was actually a hilarious one, but he also said um, he made fun of Elon Musk uh, is as burgers um, said he wasn't competent enough and also alluded to the fact that they are censoring certain political views. But the funniest part about the second video was the guy at the end, the, the project Veritas journalist, you got to give some props to this journalist played uh, his part perfectly. The, the partnership lead shared an internal email warning employees that <laughs> project Veritas specifically was looking to um, get inside information on the company by going and they on talk to, about that on the interview. Oh my God. Yes. Like he shows them the That's email and the project Veritas uh, journalist played it off so well. He's like, what's project Vir Veritas? Like he just mispronounced Veritas and played dumb. And the guy was like, oh yeah, these guys are trying to get us. They, they try and go on dates like we're on right now. Like you're lucky I found you organically. I wouldn't be able to trust you. <laughs> he was talking That's to That's fucking hilarious. He was talking to a Project Veritas journalist. It's good journalism. Um, they've been they've been kicked what off. Was also what was also really good was Elon's interview when he was talking about the bots. I'm I'm pretty sure Elon is doing a rug pull on Twitter right now. Um, well, apparently he can't. He's just he, making a mockery of the whole thing. He can get which sued. Is apparently, pretty on brand. It's pretty on brand for him. But he was he was doing an interview because. Um, he was doing this interview and he was talking about, he was like, if you're going to buy a house and they tell you there's only 5% termites. Uh, and then it turns out and you agree to buy the house and it turns out the house is really 90% termites. Um, you're not expected to buy the house anymore. Like they've, they've lied to you. And, and so basically he was alluding to the fact that, I mean, it wasn't really an illusion. He was very obvious about it, uh, that they told him that there's less than 5% bots on Twitter. And he was like, does anyone use Twitter actually believe that there's only 5% bots? Like every time you send a tweet out, we're much smaller accounts than fucking Elon. But every time I send a tweet out, I get like eight or nine bots like immediately respond to me. Um, I have like a, I have a, like a hardcore group of ride or die bots that just like love my, love my content. I've the bot, the bot activity on my tweets has been a bit tame in recent weeks. It got really bad like a month ago. I, my block list is 90% blocks. Bots, well, that's what's good me. about, that's what's good about bear markets too, is they, they, the bots disappear too. Yeah. They leave you, you leave you alone. And then Elon Tesla's getting attacked <laughs> by the S and P, the ratings agency. They've taken them out of their, their ESG fund or derated their ESG score. I forget what the explanation was, but now Elon's on, an ESG tear. Elon, we're both in Austin. Freaks, tweet at him. Come on the show. We'll talk ESG. We'll get into Twitter. We're in the same city. It seems like you're coming around to the to the fact that ESG isn't really about the environment, social justice, or appropriate governance and corporate structures. It's more about control. Uh, <laughs> uh, come on in. I know you're listening. I know you listen to this show. 
I know you're out there. I, was, I want to add two things. First of all, um, with the impersonation bots, Twitter fucking sucks because if if I report the impersonator bots, they they ask me for full KYC information to do anything about it. So I refuse to give it to them. Um, so they can go fuck themselves for that. Like it's obvious they're using the same name and the same fucking profile picture. You don't need my fucking KYC information to know that. And then the second thing is Elon was complaining that Exxon is rated higher in the ESG index than him. So shout out to my dad, Exxon Permable. <laughs> well, I, I want to be an Exxon Permable. They're cocking themselves. They're like actively moving away from these reliable energy sources, the, the minerals that have been their bread and butter for, I don't know. How Are they really that. though? Yes. They got that activist investor shareholders who took over. Oh, I didn't two, think they were. Two spots on their board. Oh yeah, they're they're actively. I told you the story about the story about where I read the shareholder letter and it was like two pages on renewables, and they were like, "We make, we we make like the the oil that uh, lubricates the wind turbines," and that mm-hmm. was like their only renewable thing. <laughs> it was like a hundred. It was like a hundred page shareholder book, and like the little just two pages on renewables was that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was some time ago. Those two greeny activist shareholders took over and they got board seats and they're actively pushing them towards wind and solar and to divest from their oh, oil well. gas assets, which again, is not, go listen to the Doomberg episode freaks if you haven't already. The, the I energy, have not listened to The energy yet. crisis is very dire right now. It's going to lead to a food crisis. And I was a bit shook yesterday after the conversation because of how certain Doomberg was that we're going to have a global famine um, may not hit here in the West, but we're already seeing a pop up in Sri Lanka. We showed you guys the video last week. They're about to run out of petrol. Uh, they're already out of, uh, I believe their grain inventory is at like 30%. India <coughs> has... I'd just be a little bit careful about that because, I mean, you know how the corporate media is on 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 crisis stuff. Like I talked to a couple of people that are from Sri Lanka and they're, they're like, they're like, it's not great, but like, it's not nearly as bad as you see in the news. Um, so I always take, you know, these, these international stories with a grain of salt. That's a good take. Um, I remember when we were in New York and like the COVID shit was happening, people outside of New York thought we were just like dropping dead in the streets. And like, that was complete bullshit. Yeah. I remember the videos of the, uh, the big freezer trucks at the hospitals yeah. in Brooklyn. It's like complete bullshit. Like I, I know two people that died from COVID. I don't know if I know any. But they made it seem like 40% of us were dying. Like they, they was like really bad at a, at a point there. So just be careful, you know, what you take away, especially if it confirms our biases, we need to be careful there. Yes. Um, but we should definitely operate under the assumption uh, that there will be food shortages and other essential item shortages. Um, just because that's the safe play and you really have nothing to lose if you operate under that perspective. Um, so the things that we've talked about in the past, you know, meat freezers, you know, shaking your local rancher's hand, stacking, stacking ammo, you know, water, like these things, water purifiers is a big one. Oh, I've got a a water story. Buy a bidet. So like toilet paper shortages don't, don't fuck with you. You know, you got it like simple practical things can make you more prepared in these kind of environments. Yes. Um, and don't depend on the corporate mainstream press. Like Matt just said, they can be overblowing situations. Depend on price signals. Uh, right? Like you're, you're feeling it at the pump, you're feeling it at 
the grocery store, those are the signals you should be paying attention to. And I said I had a water story. I have been, every time I go to the grocery store to buy, I'll just buy two gallons of water just to stock up on. And like every time I go once or twice a week and just pick up two gallons of water at the Whole Foods here in Austin for the longest time, last six months since I started doing it. Uh, the price of a gallon of water was $1.19. Last week when I went in, it was $1.39. So you had a, I believe I crunched numbers with like a 16 and a half percent price rise. Um, I have one of those, uh, those Berkey water filters uh, for the house, which is fantastic. There's a big steel, all steel, no plastic, um, gravity fed filter. Uh, you just like put it next to the sink. You fill it up with water on the top. There's a spigot on the bottom. Highly recommend. One of the coolest parts about it is you only have to change the filter every three years, three to five years, um, which is fantastically convenient. Then I have like these little Sawyer water filters for emergencies and travel. Um, stock straws. up on a couple of those. Yeah, they like they'll last for like a hundred thousand gallons or something crazy. Um, and then always like have at least like a flat or two of of bottled water just. Uh, just for really big crisis situations and emergencies so that you have, you know, easy transportable water that, it, that is, that is drinkable. Yes. I'm um, on the water side. Also fish antibiotics. Fish antibiotics. Are you feeding they're people? not, they don't require a prescription. Are you they're not regulated by the FDA or whatever. You're going to get us kicked off YouTube for telling people to take animal medicine. But it's good for the stockpile to have fish antibiotics. Hey, I'm not trying to get Rogan you're, here. Where everybody's like, fish amoxicillin. Like, don't take it as your prim- primary. Like, if we're not in a crisis situation, have the human shit. But, like, it's good to have if you get an infection during a crisis situation. This would be hilarious if we get a strike for recommending animal <laughs> medicines to people. Animal medicines, freaks. <laughs> Just in case the, the closed caption system didn't automatically pick it up. <laughs> Uh, be prepared. But again, a very good point, Matthew. Do not um, focus on the corporate mainstream presses. Picture painting. Look at price signals. I would trust the price signals. That's the uh, the highest signal that you can look at in a in a market. Moving on. This is cool to see on the rosier news. You've got a nice uh, nice structure of the list. You got some like. Uh, disarming stories where you get uh, some alarming stories and we bring it back to some good news. The good news. We've only been doing it for 199 (laughs) episodes. I think I could (laughs) get it right on the 200th. The, uh, the summer of Bitcoin, uh, organization or how they're basically foundation foundation initiative. initiative. The summer Bitcoin initiative has released their 2022 results. Uh, there are going to be, 83 participants that will be taking uh, part in the Summer of Bitcoin course that um, is going to allow these students Over to learn 20, about Over 20,000 people applied. I was going to get to that. I was going to say 89 are, Fucking crazy. are in it. But yeah, they have a, a nice graphic here. In the middle of the article, there was 20,317 20,317 applications. They had to cut that down to 1,352 uh, applicants who made it to the proposal round, and that was further filtered to 83. So that's a lot when of... When I saw it posted, 
when I saw it posted and said 20,300 applicants, I thought it was a fuck up. And then I went into the article to see if it was real. And I was like, holy shit. Like that is fucking, that is hard to fathom. Again. Is this, this is only the second year they've done it, right? I believe so, third? yes. Second year. I met Andy That's crazy. At, at Bitcoin Miami. Um, at Bitcoin yeah, he was great. I met him too. Yeah. So he shout out, great. shout out to the, uh, the summer of Bitcoin organization. They're based out of India, trying to get more developers in the space and again going back to bear market signals that you look for in terms of uh, a growing fundamental case for bitcoin this is one of them 20,100 or excuse me 20,317 applicants to get into this summer bitcoin program is a very high signal that there's a lot of people who want to contribute to bitcoin um shout out to the 83 participants that were selected obviously the competition was very high this year. Uh, and shout out to the mentors. Yeah. The mentors list at the top. Um, there's a lot of mentors. So we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve times. We literally one, say two, how many mentors three, there are. Four, five. So there's sixty pictured on the page. Yeah, sixty open source Bitcoin developers. I did I, Marty did good math on this one. Good math, Marty. It's the sunglasses. It is. Helps me uh, see clearer on the screen. What is this? Oh, uh, in Argentina, there's another speaking about teaching people about Bitcoin. There's a Bitcoin education initiative that's going to launch in 40 high schools throughout Argentina. Let's fucking go. Getting it into the minds of the youth, which is important. I wish I learned about money. I wish I learned about distributed systems. I wish I learned about computer science and the importance of sovereignty in the digital age when I was in high school. I did learn a little bit about it. Critical thinking was a big part of the I school that I went to. I not learn about any of this shit in high school. Yes. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, again, talk about grassroots movements. This is one of the lowest hanging fruits that, that you can do in terms of a, a grassroots movement instead of getting somebody to adopt Bitcoin, a merchant, or something that's uh, a higher or heavier lift. Just educating, educating the youth, planting seeds at a young age to to help individuals, young individuals specifically, um, think about the world differently. Um, and so <laughs> the program is going to begin with 40 schools, with almost 4,000 students expected to participate. Obviously, Argentina has been uh, the, has, has experienced many hyperinflationary events over the last 60 years. I wrote about it in the Ben a few weeks ago. Since 1953, I believe they've taken 21. Uh, they've they've engaged in 21 special agreements with the IMF. So that's essentially a, an IMF loan every three years uh, since the 1950s. Uh, that structure doesn't seem to actually be fixing any of the inherent issues with uh, Argentina's monetary system. Again, they've had many hyperinflationary events over the last six decades, uh, pouring more debt into that economy doesn't seem to be fixing the problem. It is a bit insane that they keep going back to the IMF trough. So seeing that there is an initiative to, to get Bitcoin into the minds of the Argentine youth is extremely encouraging because uh, hopefully these students learning will lead to changes uh, at the monetary 
policy level there because uh, well i'll tell you one thing you get to skip the step with them where you explain that the money's broken there you know that right Um, you just tell them we have we have a potential solution here and you should learn about it you'd be curious about it catch them when they're curious when they're young the you i (laughs) god damn it i had a grooming joke if you're going to groom groom about bitcoin just like Sorry, I didn't want to. Poor go taste. There. Poor taste. Yes. Um, we have MJ MG Smith very active in the comments today, asking how long I'm going to let this mullet ride for. I don't think it's a proper mullet yet, um, but I, I think I'm going to cut it tomorrow because I am flying to Oslo. I want to be a little bit more cleaned up when I talk to the activists over at the Oslo Freedom Forum. But I'm curious, freaks in the comments, say cut or no cut. Ooh. on your opinion of of my my hair length currently right now i am curious and while you're doing that like if you haven't already hit the like button hit the subscribe button the more important thing is give me some hair advice speaking of hair advice it was my final thought the other day uh <laughs> the two-year-old got absolutely butchered at at the barber this week i feel bad for him we might have to buzz his head what i mean it was just a horrible it was a horrible haircut he looks it's, I feel bad taking him out in public. He's not very good in the, in the barber chair, but. Um, well, at least he won't have to impress any ladies for like 11 years. Well, he likes to impress the ladies already. He's a big flirt. He likes to flirt. <laughs> going to be a big brother soon, sir. Yeah, that was, a, that was the reason the baby is uh, arriving soon. And my wife wanted to, Make sure that he looked good for the baby's arrival and that backfired terribly. He looks terrible. <laughs> I see there's a lot there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh debate in the in the vent household, it sounds like over this. Oh, there wasn't a little, debate. A little I mean, bit I, of hair tension. No, I know my wife we're, we're both uh, on the same page. It's a terrible haircut. Uh we were both on the same page. Yeah, maybe you should look buttoned up for the baby. Uh, when it arrives. Did you pay? Make, did you pay for the baby barber with Bitcoin? Uh, did not. Did not. You said that your barber you pay with Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Well, the baby and I do not go to the same barber. Um, I do not sit in a toy car with Disney movies on as I get my hair cut. I mean, what? It's not like a. Is it like a baby specific barber? Yes. Is that how it works? Yes, this is how it works. Children do not. No, to sit I don't still. Know. So you have to create environments <laughs> where they're more likely to sit still. And, um, the adults probably would not like getting a haircut in that type of environment. If they yeah, are, they're probably if they are, they're probably a groomer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was cool to see. Uh, Coin Court, Coin Corner announced the Bolt Card, uh, an NFC enabled uh, card that allows you to spend. Bitcoin over the Lightning Network, uh, leveraging NFC and LNURL. Um, so you load specifically up. LNURL withdraw. Yes. Um, so if you have so so by default, it uses your Coin Corner wallet, which is a custodial KYC. You know, they're a custodial KYC exchange. Um, so you buy the card from them. You tap it at an NFC terminal that supports it, or a phone that supports LNURL withdraw. And the merchant withdraws it from your account. Um, Bitcoin Q&A realized it's just a standard NFC card. So he actually wiped it and then put his own 
LN URL that was attached to is LN Bits, um, which is the project that Ben Arc maintains um, that has like full LN URL support. Um, so you can actually use it in a non-custodial way as well. Now, this should very much like this is a to me, this is really cool because this is a uh, look into what the future of Bitcoin payments could look like, which is you don't need your phone. It's just really quick. You just tap it on NFC terminal. Most terminals already have NFC, the tap to pay functionality are built in a um, lot cleaner than a QR code. A uh, couple things. First off, right now, my understanding, this is only works with Coin Corner specific uh, payment P- terminals. So like we're not going to get real adoption unless you use the hardware that the merchants already have. They already have NFC terminals. They're going to they're not going to want to buy new hardware to accept Bitcoin. Um, the second thing is because it uses LN URL withdraw, um, you're trusting that the merchant is actually withdrawing. It's a pull system, not a push. So you're trusting that the merchant's actually withdrawing the amount of money they say they're withdrawing. Um, the sec the Third thing is you're trusting that they're not doing like a replay where they charge you multiple times or wait till you leave and charge you again, that they're not cloning your card um, and taking that information and doing it again. Now, there's a couple of mitigations for now. The main mitigation being you can set limits on a transaction basis and on a daily basis. So you can say, um, you know, I only wanted to approve transactions of 100,000 sats or less and only up to a million sats a day or something. So you can set those limits um, and you can obviously shut down the LN URL on the server side if your card gets compromised. But you know, these are things that people should keep in mind, especially if it's attached to an exchange account that has a lot of money in it or any kind of wallet that has a lot of money in it. Um, because this is Bitcoin, there's no chargebacks. So um, fun to play around with. Cool concept, view into the future of Bitcoin payments, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Yes. But uh, again, got to take one step forward, one step at a time. This is a pretty big step, I would argue, in terms of uh, showing the way for what can be done. As you mentioned, as a pull system, there are a lot of safeguards that still need to be built into place. I believe they can be over time and more people coming to build on these types of protocols or design landscapes uh will bring some creativity to this and yeah I, I think this is an incredible thing to see come to market um nfc payments i became an nfc maximalist within the last year if, if you don't have tap to pay i look down on your store um and so like seeing this name like so another question is strike rolls out this partnership with um the large point of sale NCR and Blackhawk. NCR, yeah. Would this be would something like this be compatible with that? Um, presumably, they're going to have NFC support. Yes, I don't know if it's going to be compatible with this particularly. I mean, Strike still doesn't support LN URL. Um, I don't have a Strike account, but I'm 99% sure they still do not support LN URL. Um, and this is based on LN URL. Um, but my understanding is they will support NFC payments and, you know, the standards and stuff around that still needs to be decided. Um, but you always have the QR code fallback. I will say that this is above my pay grade a bit, but like this card, 
like is really a minimum viable product. Like, cause I mean, you can, you can clone this card. That's what Bitcoin Q and a did, right? Like he wiped the card and put a new card on it. You can clone this card. My understanding is, um, with the sats card that, that coin kite came out with and the tap signer, you can't just like copy the card. Like it's using a secure element or some shit. I'm, I'm not positive on the specifics of how it works. Um, so ideally we'll have more secure cards that are doing this type of thing. Um, but for small payments as a minimum viable product, as like an intro, um, this is, uh, a, I think a massive step in a good direction for UX rather than doing a QR code. Agreed. Agreed. This list is so long. Like the rest of the list is longer than most of the lists that we have week in and week out. We're going to take a break from the list and go to shout outs. We have one shout out this week. Hello. There are a group of us. You can call us guardians that have traveled back in time from the year 3033 to help with Earth's transition away from the black hole system, siphoning energy from every living being in the solar system. There are many of us on planet, on the planet. Some are awake and aware, others consciously unaware. But that doesn't prevent them from doing their job. Bitcoin is a huge deal. And even though it isn't needed anymore where we come from, it is a huge step in removing the parasitic hold on energetic exchange, money slash barter slash trade, siphoning off the planet's population by a small group of beings. Marty understands this. He has described Bitcoin as a pillar of light, drawing beings toward it, providing a catalyst for co-creation and cooperation. Stop giving parasites permission to take your energy. Take your power back with Bitcoin. Open source money is foundational for a return to our authentic nature. Open to source. Shout out to our friends from the future. Thanks, Freaks. Appreciate the support. I like that. I like that type of shout out. Well, sci-fi. Very creative. Sci-fi shout out. Don't let them siphon your energy. Listen to the, uh, the futuristic freaks from... 1,011 years from now. Another good Marty Math right there. I just checked it in my head. It checks out. 1,011 years from now. It wouldn't be the first time that you were confident in your math. <laughs> and we're completely wrong. Don't let them siphon your energy, freaks. Stack sets and stay humble. Um, back to the list. We've got Grant. Brink is funding Michael Ford, a.k.a. Fanquake, to be able to focus on his uh, extremely incredible work of maintaining Bitcoin. Uh, Fanquake is infamous throughout uh, the Bitcoin core community. He's one of our legendary maintainers. Yes. You don't see him much if you're not paying attention, but he's he's doing really, you know, he's a huge asset to Bitcoin. Yes. Uh, and he's a good farmer too. BitMEX is extending... So oh. BitMEX used to fund... Michael Ford, and now he's moved to Brink for what yes. it's worth. And in the uh, the Brink announcement, they said he's going to be working out of London. That's interesting. He's usually based out of Australia, right? Yes. Um, I mean, that's where his farm is, so I wonder what the deal with that is. Yeah. I think he's smart. Mandibles. Well, the farm is like, he he controls it all like with code, right? So maybe he can control it remotely. So I have no idea. Um, yeah, the farm's automated from what I understand. BitMEX 
They're extending Gleb Nomenko's grant. Obviously, we've been talking about Gleb a lot in uh, the last couple of months due to his efforts over in Ukraine. He's been running, um, uh, he's been accepting Bitcoin donations to make sure that people that are being affected by the war in Ukraine right now are able to get necessary supplies. Um, like we've said many times, uh, I prefer you donate to Gleb instead of the Ukraine government. Um, but outside of that humanitarian work, Gleb does also do incredible work for Bitcoin at both the, the core, or excuse me, the protocol layer and lightning layer. Him and He's legit one of the best developers we have. Yes. And the dude's got so much fucking integrity. He's super smart, tons of integrity, tons of tons of passion. Yes. We're very lucky to have him. Yes. I mean, him and Antoine. Shout out to BitMEX for continuing to fund him. Shout out to BitMEX. Him and Antoine, the work they're doing to basically stress test the Lightning Network and, and do a bunch of security research on Lightning specifically is extremely valuable. They've already highlighted a bunch of pain points that people are working on fixing at the protocol layer, Leb. Um, has worked at the P2P layer, uh, communication between nodes and um, making sure that's as robust as possible. It's actually pretty insane um, how many parts of uh, the Bitcoin stack that that club has touched um, and, and brought value to. So shout out to BitMEX for extending that grant. Um, and speaking of grants and, and how you get them, Adam Jonas, um, shout out to Jonas from Chaincode. He's still at Chaincode, right? Yes. Uh, he wrote a guide for Bitcoin open source grant seekers. So it's a blog post. If you're one of those uh, individuals contributing to Bitcoin and you're trying to figure out a way how you can focus on it full time and get a grant, uh, Jonas being from Chainco, which has given out a number of grants uh, throughout the years. Uh, no, they, they don't give out grants. Or they... They hire developers to work specifically. Yeah, they do residencies. residencies I mean, I just, I'm not me. being a dick. He like literally says in like the first sentence, he's yes. like, my experience at Chaincode, while we don't give out grants. It's on me. It's on me. Um, so here's a, a little guiding blog post if you're looking to get grants. Some, um, some advice yeah, from Adam Jonas. Um, <laughs> the dogs. The dogs. Uh, speaking of nodes, the Ministry of Nodes Bitcoin Node Box Guide for 2022 has been released. That's on BitcoinTV.com. The link you put in the show notes um, is not working, Matt. Or you have to be logged in to view it. It's also it's also on uh, it's also on YouTube. I was trying to like mute it when the dogs were they're just greeting everyone. Um, Shout out to Catan for putting these together. It's one of the best Node tutorials. It's using a old computer, so you can buy uh, like an old desktop computer, an old laptop. Uh, you install Linux on it, Ubuntu, and then he goes through like all the different pieces of software you can choose to install if you want to choose it. Um, these these nodes are are way more powerful than the little Raspi nodes, um, and not that much more expensive because you are using. Uh, usually you just use a used computer for it. Um, so shout out to Catan on this. Shout out to Catan, Ministry of Nodes. Again, signal. The education, the information, it only grows. It only grows day by day. All the, uh, all the pundits will tell you that Bitcoin's dead, that the show should be canceled. However, 
as you can see by everything we've been talking about for the last hour and 45 minutes. People are grinding. People are grinding. Speaking about grinding, we're at, and somewhat at the uh, software update. There's some proposals in here as well. We're going to blow through these. I'll stop um, at Gloria Zao's, which is the third one now. So Bitcoin Seed Tool version 1.0.5 has been released. Uh, Sparrow Wallet version 1.6.4 has been released. Gloria Zhao uh, released a package relay proposal on the Bitcoin Dev mailing list, and she has some information on the design of this package relay uh, on GitHub, uh, GitHub as well. Um, so this is something that Gloria is working on at the P2P layer that essentially is trying to make the transaction broadcasting and mempool layer more efficient. And uh, I believe she describes it as fairer uh, in her proposal. Um, so this is some nitty gritty protocol work that is being worked on. Peter Wooler, he wrote a uh, post on GitHub, a write-up about private authentication protocols. Um, is this specific to Bitcoin or is this just... Uh, yes. Okay. Um, both... It doesn't both really mention... It doesn't, propose, what? it doesn't mention Bitcoin, and that's why I ask. I mean, the idea is, is so like when you're, when you're doing uh, P2P networks like Bitcoin, you don't... You know, you don't want someone to be man in the middle in you between you and your peers. Um, how can we go about doing that? So this is uh, Peter's uh, Peter's write up is like a base write up. He's like he's collecting his thoughts. There's no hard proposal there, um, but it is it is a problem that that we do have in Bitcoin, which is the authentication between peers, so that you don't you don't have that man in the middle risk. Um, it can be used for surveillance in the in the Bitcoin network um, to sniff what transactions you're broadcasting and what your IP address is. Um, our main mitigation for like actually malicious man in the middle that isn't surveillance based, uh, like denial of service and stuff, is just like be connected to many peers. But that doesn't help on the surveillance side because if if you if you have a man in the middle on that side, they can just be spying on you. Um, I just want to. I, so, so both of these, you should people should go read them. They're both a little bit above me and Marty's pay grade, so I'm not. I don't think we're really doing it justice when we explain them, but but they are important. I mean, Gloria's proposals is extremely important, um, and whenever Peter writes something, we should all read it because uh, the dude's a fucking genius. Just try our best to understand it. Uh, I want to just go real back, real quick to Bitcoin Seed Tool. First of all, is that project that Bitcoin Q and A and Super Fat Hour are running? They added the the big feature they added was uh, last word checksum. So if if you're not aware, your seed is randomly generated, but the last word, like you can pick your seed out of a hat if it's sufficiently shuffled and random. I don't really advise doing it, but you could do that. And if you do that, or if you do it with dice, you still the last word needs to be calculated separately because it's a checksum. So it's it's making sure that the other words are are like in in the correct order. Um, so you can't, it's not easy to do that last word on your own. So now with the seed tool offline, you can do that. Um, another cool thing that I saw people doing with the seed tool was, you know, on cold card, you have the dice rolls to generate um, your seed. Uh, 
with with the seed tool, you can actually run the seed tool offline. So like you can get the seed tool on the website. Don't use that one unless it's with play money. Download it offline, run it offline on a local machine. Um, so people have basically done the dice on the on the cold card and then they they checked if it comes out the same on the seed tool. And then you have two sources of truth to make sure that they match each other. Now I wouldn't use I wouldn't I still wouldn't use that seed. But then you do it again and you're like, okay, the cold card didn't lie to me the first time. So the second time should be fine. Like that's probably how I would do that process because at that point now you all of a sudden you have a seat on a computer, even if it was offline, like are you ever going to connect that back to the internet? Like you, there's all these other uh, attack surface things that you open up. On the Sparrow side, the two cool features that were added here is you can now, the, he now has support for the seed QRs that Seed Signer uses. So if you've been using a seed signer and you have the seed QR, without the seed signer, you can just use Sparrow now, um, which is pretty cool interoperability. I think that's pretty clever. And he added this dust warning system. So like if you get hit with a dust attack where someone's trying to track your transactions by sending small amounts of Bitcoin to old addresses that you've already used, um, Sparrow will now warn you. So two... Big features added on Sparrow. One big feature added on Ctool. Wanted to highlight them. Boss, again, people building. That seems like a, a, if you're like hardcore trying to create a seed, that's an incredible upgrade to um, the seed tool. And if you notice, I'm wearing the Sparrow hat. Bitcoin Hack Guy sells it. If you buy it from Bitcoin Hack Guy, a bunch of the proceeds go to Sparrow Development, and it's just a fucking dope hat. It is a dope hat. Um, Cold Card's got a new stable coin in the form of back, a gift card. If you want to, back uh, by Cold Cards. If you want to uh, gift individuals gift cards to CoinKite, um, they are offering that now on the site. You go to store.coinkite.com/giftcards, uh, and you can give people the joy. Of very dope Bitcoin hardware. Um, well, the reason I made the stablecoin joke, so like Marty was reading the list and I wrote on the list, I was like, new stablecoin backed by cold cards. Um, the reason I make this joke is because you, so you can buy these gift cards without KYC with Bitcoin. You can only buy them with um, Bitcoin. Right. You can only buy them with Bitcoin, no KYC. At any point, you can spend them on CoinKite products. Um, most Bitcoiners buy CoinKite products. So like it actually could be pretty useful for like RoboSats and other KYC-free P2P exchanges where one side needs fiat. Like I, I, I have a, like I imagine a lot of Bitcoiners would, you know, in terms of, of a USD value, getting a, getting a CoinKite gift card is like a better value than some of the other gift cards. Yes. Are most Bitcoiners using cold cards? I mean, probably not. I mean, most Bitcoiners are <laughs> most Bitcoiners are just exchange. keeping their funds on custodial exchanges, right? Well, I've I've been hearing rumblings throughout the industry that the uh, the Coinbase 10Q has lit a fire under a lot of individuals' asses to to get their coins off the exchange and into uh, self custody. So that good that Brian Armstrong came out and tried to warn everybody that they're not. Uh, in danger of going um, into bankruptcy. So good on you. Um, 
This month of Bitcoin privacy is out. Is this after a month-long hiatus? Yeah, this is two months, really. It's March and April. Yes. By our, by our lady Janine. Um, so if Fucking you're awesome. Interesting in learning about everything that went on in regards to privacy uh, in the privacy world and how it relates to Bitcoin. Janine has uh, her most recent post up. Uh, we're going to link to that in the show notes. It's a long one, obviously. Um Pulling up, pulling up two months of work here from March and April. Uh, but this is a must-read every month if yeah. you care about privacy, and you should care about privacy. So, and this, and this one's a long read. I, I recommend uh, setting aside some time on your Saturday morning. And I'll be working with her, with the activists again. We worked in Miami uh, for the last Oslo Freedom Forum, and, and this time we'll be doing it in Oslo. Sweet. Um, which I'm pretty excited about. What um what are we thinking for recording next week? Should we do business on air about that? Oof. I don't know. We gotta figure it out. I'm gonna be traveling on Thursday, I think. Okay. We're gonna have to figure that out. You're gonna be way ahead we'll, of me too. We'll figure it out. Um Yeah, we'll figure it out. Uh ba, ba, ba. this is my first Thursday in a while where I'm not traveling immediately following. <laughs> How's that <laughs> feel? Rabbit will recap. Feels good. Feels good. Rest this weekend before Oslo. But next, but next, next week is a is a whirlwind. So I'll figure it out and I'll message you in car. Uh, MG Blazers asking if Oslo FF will be streamed or recorded. It will definitely be recorded and posted afterwards. I'm ninety nine percent sure it will also be streamed. Um. Yeah, I mean, we're also going to be doing workshops with the activists. Those will not be streamed or recorded. Um, we're going to be doing like Bitcoin one hundred and one. With activists, it'll be like two Bitcoiners uh, with like eight activists. Um, show them how to load a wallet, spend from the wallet, back up the wallet, restore the wallet, lightning on chain. Um, yeah, pretty pretty fucking stoked for it. I'm bummed I had to miss it. Look at that. Thanks, Car. Look at that handsome gentleman right there. <laughs> Fiat Joff. Uh, Fuck you, Tio, in the comments. <laughs> For the podcast people, he's making fun of my... Terrell Owens is in the comments? What's up, Terrell? My my pronunciation. Activist. Activist. I'm a little bit uh, congested right now. I got a... Hey, take it easy I gotta, on Matt I got, freaks. A cold I'm, I got a cold I'm fighting. <laughs> he's got a cold, okay? Take it easy on him, all right? He's playing through... This is, this is Matt's flu game. Episode 200. Couldn't miss it. Fiat Jeff. This is like a fun little blog post. Uh, there's a lot of character in this blog post. I love Fiat Jeff. He's a real one. He uh, he initiated a lightning penalty transaction. You want to describe I think you'd be better at describing this than I would. Oh, no. So a lightning penalty transaction is what happens if... Um, don't close the channel, right? A user on lightning tries to cheat you. Uh, they lose all their money in the channel. So like as you're doing a channel... Uh, you're basically updating your channel commits uh, as the balances are changing, who has what. You're not broadcasting it to the chain. You're not broadcasting it to the Bitcoin network, but you're each signing and updating what the new balances are. Now, the problem is if one person can go back and you've already signed a previous one that says they have more money than you, 
they could broadcast that and take your money. But if the other partner is online or uh, they have a watchtower that's watching it, they can broadcast the penalty transaction, which takes all of the attacker's money. The attacker loses everything. So, so Lightning operates on this trust model where the fear that if you try and steal from your counterparty, they can take all of your money in that channel stops the majority of attacks from happening. So, I mean, I've been using Lightning, um, for, I don't know, for like three years now or whatever, since like the very beginning. And like, I've never seen a Lightning penalty transaction. Most people, like most of the times it happens is because someone fucks something up and they accidentally broadcast an old state, not that they intentionally meant to, right? Like they're copying a node over, they're like loading up to a new node box or something, and they accidentally broadcast an old state uh, not intentionally. So I've never actually seen a penalty transaction. It seems like Fiat Jaff hasn't either. So he like made one happen and then lost his money and documented the whole process. So it's just a cool little insight into how how it would look um, if if you tried to attack someone and you got subject to a lightning penalty transaction. So sometimes you can't trust, you have to verify Fiat Jaff went and verified that these penalty transactions will actually happen if somebody tries to cheat you on the lightning network. And again, like I said, the blog post is extremely colorful. A lot of character in this post. A very, uh, very nice storytelling here by, by our friend Fiat Joff. The Adopting Bitcoin conference is back this year in El Salvador, in San Salvador, on November 17th, or excuse me, 15th to the 17th at the Crown Plaza in San Salvador. Uh, adopting Bitcoin uh, had its first conference last year in October of 2021. It was a great success. And um, now the Adopting Bitcoin crew is getting back together for mid-November of this year to uh, educate people about Bitcoin, how to use Bitcoin, how to adopt Bitcoin. Um, and they I've do have- only heard good things about this event. Yes. Heard so- very good things about this event. Uh, Maritz from Spectre is heavily involved. He did a great job last year. I expect nothing less this year. There is a call for participation. The organizing team uh, will invite speakers, but if you want to contribute to the conference as a speaker, you can submit an application at adoptingbitcoin.org. So if you're a freak out there who thinks you have an interesting topic that you'd like to speak about at this conference in San Salvador, uh, adoptingbitcoin.org is accepting applications for speakers. I don't believe they're doing pay to play either. It's going to be a meritocracy. So you better have something good to speak about. Okay. If you got two lungs, you're short Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, this was cool. I watched, I'm still, uh, haven't finished it yet, but watched uh, more than half of it at this point. Peter McCormick uh, released a, a documentary film, investigative documentary, I guess you could say. He went down. It's like 35 minutes. Yeah, went down to It's Bitcoin. like mini doc style. It kind of reminds me of like the old Vice stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, the production quality on this is very, very high quality. Um, and so Peter went down, interviewed um, Mike Peterson and his wife from Bitcoin Beach, why they started it, uh, and then uh, went into town and asked a bunch of people how they were using Bitcoin, what they thought about Bitcoin. Um, again, I haven't finished the whole thing yet. I still have to get through the rest of it, but um, the first 17 minutes that I watched were very high quality, interesting first person perspective on, on what's going down in El Salvador post legal tender law. That's on Bitcoin TV and YouTube. Um, 
how Bitcoin should be upgraded in the future. By Shinobi. By Shinobi. Um, taboo topic. Very taboo topic. Obviously, with the debate around OpCTV, BIP 119, and uh, the controversy around how uh, that may or may not be added to the protocol um, is driving people to ask the hard question how Which is good. Bitcoin should be upgraded in the future. Shinobi, who we is should in, have this conversation. Shinobi has been in the trenches for some time now. I think he was one of my first follows on Bitcoin Twitter back in 2014, 2015. Um, yeah, has been thinking a lot about this topic. He went through the four quarters of 2017. Uh, I remember him being an ardent critic of all the attempted forks before that, like Bitcoin Classic, Bitcoin XT. Um, so this is a subject that Shinobi has been thinking about for quite some time. Uh, and he wrote a piece on it in Bitcoin Magazine that we're going to link to in the show notes. So, I like to think that I helped inspire this piece um, because Shinobi and Rusty Russell were on Dispatch uh, last week to discuss this. So we had like a two-hour conversation on the topic. Um, you should all go listen to that in your favorite podcast app. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, very important conversation. Like we should be having this conversation now. You don't want to have this conversation when, when there's actually something that we really need. I don't. I don't think there's like a pressing need for CTV. Um, I don't think there's a pressing need for covenants. That's just my opinion. But we need to have like like stakeholders, Bitcoin stakeholders, people that own Bitcoin, use Bitcoin, use their own node, rely on Bitcoin every day. You have to take an active. You have to take an active interest in improving your knowledge and being humble enough to realize that we don't really know that much, and that we're never going to know everything, and that you just need to keep improving that. And part of that is understanding how the extremely beautiful yet chaotic Bitcoin consensus system works around upgrades, and how we're going to navigate that as the network grows larger and has more value in it. Yes, and, and Shinobi hones in and, and probably a good place for you freaks to start when you want to learn about activation methods and it's the whole controversy over BIP8 and BIP9 signaling, um, which is a whole rabbit hole to, to dive down and to think about the trade-offs and what, what they mean. Um, so BIP8, BIP9 uh, is a good place to start if you want to learn about historical upgrades and uh, the different philosophies behind each mechanism um version bit signaling and lot lot equals true lot equals false all that stuff um i like even though i've done extensive research on it in the past i i still need to brush up on it and remind myself of how those two things differ and how they they work in terms of getting something activated into the protocol um, so that's where I would recommend you start. Obviously, read the history. Um, definitely go check out the piece that Pete Rizzo wrote, I believe, last year, the year before, about uh, uh, pay to script hash. P2SH? Yeah, P2SH. That was the, the first soft fork in Bitcoin, the history of that, the discussion around that. Back when Amir Taki, uh, Luke Dasher, Gavin... Uh, Gavin um, Andreessen. <laughs> Andreessen? Yeah, Gavin Andreessen. Um, and a bunch of others. A, a very interesting history of Peter Wolo, Greg Maxwell. Um, very interesting history and upgrades. And again, as is clear, 
at the moment via this post from Shinobi, there, there is no um, very clear-cut path to, to future activation. So as Matt said, it's important to be having these discussions. Um, better start now as opposed to later when, when the need is I pressing. mean, look, one of the, one of the reasons... Uh, one of the reasons me and Marty come back week in, week out, 200 episodes, is because a more informed Bitcoin stakeholder base, like a more informed Bitcoin or population is crucial for the success and robustness of Bitcoin. So like we each need to push ourselves to understand Bitcoin more and more. And once again, be humble enough that we don't really understand it that much and that we need to, we need to improve our knowledge and then take it a step further and ideally go and, and help other people understand it better as well. Like if we each go out and help 10 people um, try and understand everything that's going on in the Bitcoin network, we will have a stronger network for it because ultimately like this is open source code. um, But ultimately it's a movement of people. People need to run the code. They need to use the code. They need to build the code. They need to support the code. Um, and it's it's up to us as individuals to actually improve our knowledge and understanding of of how this all works. Completely agreed. Do your part, freaks. Try to educate. Don't try. Most importantly, we say this a lot. Don't trust us. Like, and the only way you can do that is by educating yourself. Do not trust. Verify for yourself. Next on the list, David Marcus, previously the quote unquote crypto team lead at Meta, formerly Facebook. You uh, should have used my fucking list item. Let me see what you said. Former lead of Facebook shitcoin project launches lightning project. Yes. Um, so uh, David Marcus has, has launched or announced that he started a company called LightSpark, which aims to really hone in on the lightning network and build products that will um, bring the lightning network to the masses. I'm, I'm distracted here because I'm looking for the raise. They raised like a shit ton of money at a crazy valuation. And they like raised it from like all the fucking fiat VCs. Yes. Um, so A16Z, Paradigm, they're all in it. Yes. Yeah, so it's A16Z, I will say, I don't Paradigm. think this is a coincidence that it's right after, you know, Lightning Labs is like, we're going to have shit coins on Lightning. Uh, come on. What? Do you, think, you think he just like launched this country, company and raised a bunch of money because of Tara? I think he saw the trajectory and heard the murmurs and was like, I'm going to launch a lightning shitcoin company. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we have three different projects working on lightning shitcoins now. This is the third one. Does he mention shitcoins? No, but it's in his nature. David's latest project, LightSpark, aims at nothing less than reinventing the largest and most antiquated parts of the financial services by building on the Lightning Network, wrote Matrix Partners, Dana Stadler, an early investor, Marcus Zong's. Marcus's Zong. The team will share more information over time, but suffice to say, there's no one I trust more than David to start and lead such an ambitious company. Downturns are good moments to focus on building and creating value with mission-aligned people, said Marcus. We're excited to dive into Lightning, learn more, and work alongside the community. We'll share more about our work as we progress. Yeah, so it seems like vaporware that they're just raising on an idea. 
Shitcoin's on Lightning. Okay, we'll see. Do you think it's uh, going to be a product that we'd recommend to people? No. <laughs> we shall see. I mean, you might recommend it. I don't know. I don't, I don't plan on it. I mean, you get really excited about these kind of things. I'm not really. I mean, I saw this. I was like, I'll yeah. say, I'll say, regardless of what happens, it's a win that he left Facebook shitcoin and is building on Lightning. Thanks for the liquidity. And it, it might be like the first time like A16Z and Paradigm have invested in a Lightning business. They don't have any exposure to Lightning Labs? I don't know. I, I, they might. That's part of the reason why I think they knew about Taro ahead of time. Potentially. I mean, Taro is not like something that Lightning Labs could... I mean, they could build products using the Taro protocol, but I don't think like LightSpark would build a Taro competitor. But they maybe... They might use tarot. Yeah, they might build their whole business on tarot. Who knows? Who knows? Right now, it's just vapor. Or they might build a competitor and try and win the market. They're going to let us know. They're going to let us know. So beware, freaks. Look out for the uh, the announcements. This was an announcement of an announcement. Announcement of a raise for potential future announcement of a product. I Uh, will say that I used to give NVK a lot of shit because whenever we got a little bit drunk, he would always tell me, uh, "Lightning is our." way of keeping shit corners busy working on relatively related to Bitcoin projects. Yes. Yes. And it is started kind of to feel that way, to be honest. It really is. It really is. Um, I don't want to denig- I don't want to denigrate any lightning developers. Oh, I'm not trying to do that. I love our developers. I love our open source contributors. I love all the teams that build on Bitcoin. But it does, you know, it feels a little bit like the most shitcoiny stack on Bitcoin. Speaking of shitcoiny stack, SBF bought seven point six percent of Robinhood and announces that stock trading will be coming to FTX. This is not a move. Like buy a material amount of your competitor and then roll so out. So first he bought this and then. So he bought this like he announced the buy right after Rabbit Hole Recap last week. Of course and he then did. It was like yesterday or two days ago they had, they announced that FTX is adding stocks at zero fees. Um, I don't know. This guy's like one of the richest under thirty in the world. So um, it doesn't it it doesn't seem that odd for him to personally you know cover his bases in terms of this. And I'm sure it gives him access uh, at Robinhood, right? Which could help FTX. Like it kind of, it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, definitely. does make some sense. Um, But yeah, I I think SBF's a bad actor. I mean, he had Tony Blair and Bill Clinton at his most recent conference. He's constantly uh, pushing shit coins on people. Uh, He's constantly shitting on proof of work and leaning into the environmental aspect. That's one thing I wanted to know. Doesn't he live in like the Bahamas and he's worried about the environment? Bro, you live on a beach that's going to be underwater. Like you, you, it's a very odd move to make if you're really worried about the environment. Why would you live on something that could be uh, pushed under the ocean if... if Does he know? actually live in the Bahamas? Like I know his conference was in the Bahamas. I think he lives down there. He may be like a Cayman guy. And do you really care about the environment or do you 
like the marketing spin on POS as an environmentally friendly uh, consensus mechanism so that you can pump your bags. A lot of which depend on that proof of stake meme. 100% the latter. I mean, it's more than just pump the bags. I mean, I have tweets back in like 2018 or whatever. Um, proof of stake networks give custodians, you know, particularly exchanges, way more control over these networks, way more monetization schemes. Uh, way more control. They become a validator as well as a market, right? They're the miner and the exchange. Exchanges in Bitcoin already have, you know, a, a large amount of power and, and control and influence. We saw that in the Bcash situation. Um, so if they're also the validator, they obviously have even more influence. Um, if they're the main people that are securing your network, they have even more influence. Uh, and they can, they, you know, they have all these staking monetization schemes, yield bullshit. Like there's a lot more ways for them to make money there. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's only natural for exchange operators to be, be pushing proof of stake. I just wish they did it in a more ethically sound way. Like there's, like there's, they just repeat bullshit. And these people aren't. They ethical. know it's wrong. They, they know it's not ethical. Wrong. They don't care. I, why would, and why would I you expect ethics? About, ethics from unethical people. I know we're talking about SBF right now, but that Joe Lubin interview. Oh my did you god! See that Joe Lubin yeah, interview. Yeah, pull it up, Car. I tweeted about it. Just search. Joe Marty. Lubin. Joe Lubin is rumored to, to control more than fifteen percent of ETH in circulation. Uh, he's one of the co-founders of ETH. Uh, there's this great story where like Vitalik was like unloading some of his own bags and like Lubin bought Vitalik's bags as an anonymous buyer. Yeah. Vitalik didn't know till afterwards. So there's a point in this interview. Well, first of all, Lubin just repeats a bunch of bullshit FUD that he knows isn't real. He looks really shaken and like desperate and weird in the interview for whatever reason, like giving off really weird vibes. But there's this one question that the Bloomberg host asks him. And he's like, what happens if someone, an attacker gets like over 50%? And Lubin's pretty confident that they won't. And the reason is, is because him and his buddies have over 50% probably. Yeah. I mean, I, I tweeted like about They're it. the attackers. Like they're the threat to the network. They're the cantillionaires of the Ethereum network. And they, oh, they're so happy about the Should transition. Should we play this whole interview? What yeah. is this, two minutes? Yeah, play it. I mean, before you play a car, just like... Again, body language reading, if you can't see it at home, you'll be able to hear it via the inflection in his voice, but very low energy, not convincing at all, and just objectively lying throughout it. Like, this is the co-founder of Ethereum. It makes sense when you have the immutability of a proof-of-work blockchain. I don't want to put the deed to my house or my daughter's birth certificate on a proof-of-stake blockchain. It just doesn't have the security. Um, that is not correct. Uh, proof of stake is likely to be uh, far more secure or less attackable. Um, there, as I indicated, there are 350,000 validators uh, currently validating Ethereum 2. Um, there are attack vectors against uh, proof of work systems uh, that involve uh, essentially hiring um, mining power for short periods of time and uh, uh, executing an attack and then um, if you fail, then not that big a deal. Uh, if you fail 
first of all, putting a, an attack together in a proof of stake system is enormously expensive because you'd have to. But very acquire, possible, right? Uh, all you need is fifty-one uh, percent. Uh, well, fifty-one percent of of hundreds of billions of dollars is not easy to get to. But and once you start trying to accumulate, um, uh, that would drive the price of ether up to uh, essentially unobtainable. Levels. Only if you buy it, not if you steal it. <laughs> um, well, it would be very hard to steal that much either, I believe. So uh, I, uh, the I have to disagree with you. I think it's pretty clear for yeah, people. Well, what about the centralization? Systems what about the centralization? Because it seems like there is <clears throat> a relatively small number of firms that are staking a whole bunch of different uh, coins. Is, is it going to be as decentralized as a proof-of-work blockchain? Well, um, the openness, diversity, uh, and drive towards maximal decentralization of the Ethereum protocol uh, is underway. 350,000 validators uh, is a pretty big number, uh, much bigger than any other system. And the barrier to entry uh, for individuals or small organizations uh, to validate uh, the Ethereum network is very low now compared to proof-of-work systems. Um, it is the case that uh, that some exchanges uh, have sizable validator pools and uh, um, we built a technology that is just way more accessible and uh, it, it will lead to maximal decentralization. <sighs> like how he ignores the part where he he holds a considerable stake himself and he's he's the founder of consensus which got their hands in like so many different uh eth companies including infura which runs the back end nodes for a huge amount of projects in ethereum yeah and, um and he was so that's really why he's not he's not that concerned i would say one thing is you actually don't need 51% to cause havoc in an ETH system, as far as I'm understanding it, you you could do significantly less than that, somewhere in like the 30s. Well, there um, you can cause chaos with that. There was a like another disingenuous line. There was like there's 350,000 validators, which is much more yeah. distributed there. Than it's like no, it's 350,000 addresses with staked ether. Like yeah, he like splits up all all him and his buddies. They all like split it among a hundred thousand fucking validators or whatever. And yeah. they, they separate it out. So it looks, it looks, it's decentralization theater. Like you can't just slapping the word decentralized on something like they did with Terra does not make something decentralized. It has to actually be decentralized. And the reason decentralized matters in the first place, like I even don't think Bitcoin's decentralized enough, but it's by far the most decentralized system in the crypto space. And the reason it matters is because ultimately, these we're creating money that's outside of state control, outside some of the most powerful entities that have ever existed in humanity. So if you're going to be resistant to those powers, you can't have centralized third parties that can be pressured. That is the key to the whole reason. That's why Bitcoin survived this fucking long. Yeah. Um, and Matt, while uh, I had to apologize while we were sitting here recording, I, I sent out a tweet. I usually don't do that. But I put the tweet in the, the Telegram group car. We have some breaking news on RHI Last this week. Last week, you were reading emails while we were recording. This week, you're fucking on Twitter, sending out tweets. I got, I got people pinging me, pinging me, pinging I have me. Marty, some respect, man. Marty, you got to update the thread. You got to update the thread. We got an update. 
to the thread I started in August of 2017 that has been tracking the long-awaited transition from proof-of-work to proof-of-stake. Uh, it's changed from just a transition to proof-of-stake to ETH 2.0. I'm pretty sure they changed the name of ETH 2.0 recently, but uh, apparently there's a permissionless conference going on somewhere in the world right now. And Justin Drake says a post-merge world is extremely likely by September. So um, Ethereum crowd saying they're going to go to proof-of-stake by September. Um, so, uh, just, so, I mean, they have like, they also like the people that are using that are, that are testing out the ETH 2.0 system right now, they're like locked into it. There's like no pulling out of it. Exactly. So there's like a shit ton of ETH that's like locked up in this system. So they, they're like forcing their hand. They're like kind of have to do it. Otherwise they'll get chaos themselves. And if, if like my assumption is that like Lubin and co are very heavy into that, into, into that ETH 2.0 uh, staking ecosystem. So they're going to be pushing for it on their side to do it really as soon as possible. Yeah. And they're imagine, locked up. Well, I imagine the pressure is going to be extremely, only going to get heavier if the decoupling narrative that we talked about at the very beginning of this episode um, if it doesn't come true for Ethereum, the price continues to dump as the global economy goes to shit and they are looking for liquidity. Uh, they're going to try and force that merge so they can dump as soon as possible. Maybe they believe it'll pump their bags. Who knows? Um, but the threat has been updated. It's been going on for five years. Who knows? Maybe it comes to an end this summer. Um, we shall see. Uh, I'm not holding my breath. Would not be surprised either way. But, I can't uh, believe you tweeted mid fucking rip. Hey, uh, people, I've got another update. I'm offended, freaks. We're gonna have to cancel the show. Uh, I've got I've got another update for you, uh, Danny Scott, Coin Corner Danny, uh, the founder of Coin Corner, who we were talking about earlier. He uh, is apparently listening in and has an update for us on the go. Thanks for the shout out, guys, and nice to hear the comments on the Bolt card. Few bits to help understanding the card actually has replay attack prevention. So a dynamic LN URL withdrawal every tap, one-time use. You can use it for static as a gift card route like what Bitcoin Q&A did. But when you tie it to your Coin Corner account, it adds that security layer for the dynamic LN URL withdrawal. It's now, oh, already, good. it's now already compatible with BTC Pay Server, POS, and websites. They just need to upgrade to the latest version. We agree merchants don't want our hardware, neither do we. So we have some more news in the pipeline to help adoption. We'll announce in the coming weeks. We will be looking to tap into legacy systems too, so they are compatible as they have the NFC capabilities generally already right now for non-custodian. It is only static LN URL withdrawal, but we will release a setup to do it in a completely non-custodial way with the dynamic piece just need a little bit more time and more hours in the day. Cheers, Danny. Appreciate you. Thanks for the comments. So the replay attack thing was the point where I said, the merchant could then, after you walk away, do another withdrawal from your from your account. They can't do that if you're attached to Coin Corner. Is what he's saying. It's my understanding. Yes, so uh, that's good. Hey, we, we've got we've got power players listening to the pod, man. It's uh, it's good to know. Thank you for listening, Danny. Where did he post that? On under, Twitter, under the tweet of the episode, yeah, of the live stream. Uh, Last topic. 
the House, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill today that would bar exploitative fuel prices. Uh, so apparently price controls are potentially coming to America. As we know, historically, price controls are the way to, to control prices. This is, this is, this is going to work. They're just going to say, hey, gas can't be more expensive than this or else. Um, so this is the state of the U.S. government, the U.S. economy. We have the people in charge passing bills through the House. Still got to get through the Senate. And then that dude who doesn't know where he is has to sign it into law. Um, but yeah, the price controls are on the table, it seems. So I was joking. Historically, price controls are. You heard it here, freaks. Marty's pro price controls. Make sure you clip that out out of context. Post it everywhere. (laughs) I mean, if you guys are... uh, Clown world was the worst call ever. I mean, the the U.S. (laughs) government is considering price controls. such a bad fucking call. If If you've ever read any history book, price controls do not work. Talking about clown world, they fucking... Uh, they they were they got rid of the the Ministry of Truth the yeah they, they got rid of the Department of Homeland Security Disinformation Council because they said it got it was a target of disinformation yes there was too much it's disinformation hilarious. about the com the council so they had to disband it thank Fucking gosh it. thank God man that would have been terrible. Now that now they scare you back into their hole. Now they're planning like, all right, how do we how do we rebrand this and bring it back? Yeah, they should just. I mean, it should not be a public facing agency. They should just do it behind closed doors like they always do. Well, spe- yeah. Speaking about it, like behind closed doors, did you see that video of that one agency like like just openly coming out and admit that they perform psyops on the U.S. population and foreign. Entities. No, I did not see that video, but that's been known for a while. I mean, that's that's our MO. Yeah, but um, Ghost, what was it called? Freak. Somebody help me out in the comments because we should watch this video to, to wrap it up. Um, Ghost in Ghost in the Machine. That's what it was called. Um, where is this video? Searching video. I got it. No, it's here. Oh, we have we have Coin Corner Molly in the comments too. What's up, Coin Corner Molly? What's up, Molly? Wait, is this it? That's the one I'm thinking of. My computer's so old it doesn't play Twitter videos anymore, so I can't tell if it's the exact one. Just hit play. Let's just see if it is, if it's not. Comes to a violent and bloody no, end. not Mr. it. But, I don't know, there was a really creepy video by some intelligence agency. Um, just saying that they're actively psyoping everybody. I mean, we know this is true if you've ever heard of Operation Paperclip, Operation Mockingbird. The CIA specifically has infiltrated media organizations throughout the country since I believe the 50s or 60s. They, they plant stories with journalists and um, feed you their propaganda via the mainstream corporate press. Our FBI agent hasn't handed us anything yet to feed to you freaks. We're, uh, we're propaganda free outside of Bitcoin propaganda up to this point, but you never know. 
You never know. I don't know. You're the one who's pro price controls. <sighs> hey, it seems like a good idea. I don't like high gas prices. We just say, hey, stop it at five bucks a gallon. It seems pretty straightforward. Foolproof. Yeah. No higher than five bucks a gallon, freaks. It makes sense. These evil, grubby oil and gas companies just trying to exploit you at a time of dire need. It's their fault. Not the fault of our politicians and their energy policy and their greed and their incompetency and their stranglehold grip on the country. It's the entrepreneurs. They're exploiting you. $5 gas price. $5 a gallon. That's the ceiling. We go no higher. The price controls are here, freaks. Rejoice. Should we wrap it up? Um, a reminder, freaks, uh, this is, if you're listening to this on the TFTC podcast feed, this is the last time Rabbit Hole Recap will be posted there. Open up your favorite podcast app. Search Rabbit Hole Recap. That's where it'll be posted going forward. Press the subscribe button. Uh, give us some reviews over there because the reviews do help in terms of discovery and it's going to be a brand new feed now. So kind of starting from the bottom again in that regard. I actually um, checked. So I checked the... Uh, should go do that. The freaks came out last week. I checked the uh, iTunes tech chart. We were number RHR before we even like published a new episode on it. And yesterday, at least when I checked, was like number 50. Fuck yeah. Thank you, freaks. Yeah. Um, while you're fucking killing it, go do the same thing for Citadel Dispatch. <laughs> like, subscribe, um, share. What are Great. we going to do? Like, YouTube and stuff is going to be... Uh, It'll be YouTube, the same. We're going to do the same YouTube feed. Let's just do the same YouTube feed. Makes it easier. Twitch has Rabbit Hole Recap already. If you like Twitch, go to Twitch Rabbit Hole Recap. All archives are going to continue to be posted to BitcoinTV.com. Um, and is are you posting the Rabbit Hole Recaps to Rumble? Yes, we have been. But you're posting them in the TFTC Rumble or is yeah. there a separate Rumble? Yeah, let's just keep the videos. We're also on Rumble at TFTC. Yes. Um, so, so the Rabbit Hole Recap specific things are Bitcoin TV, Twitch, podcast feed. Yes. Um, the podcast feed specifically helps with the uh, value for value podcasting 2.0 stuff. Um, and we're just going to, people are going to go on their podcasting. I'm sort of like, ooh, TFTC, this isn't, ooh, what's this RHR? Just hit them from all sides, all angles. We're hitting from all angles here. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, like, Hit that noty button. Comment under the videos too. Apparently that's good for, for getting it out uh, in, the, in the YouTube algo. We're officially, uh, we have no strikes on the YouTube channel as of today. Our, Fuck our, Google. You don't have to comment under the YouTube channel. <laughs> don't, don't sign into Google. Yeah, well, if you're going to use YouTube, just use it unsigned in. What do, you, what, do you, what do you tell the freaks in the live chat? Use the Twitch live chat. I don't know. Amazon's not any better. I don't know. <laughs> Thank damned you, if you do, Damned if you don't. However, you're supporting the show. If you're participating in the live chat, if you're yeah, streaming. Good point. Most, most of the freaks in the live chat are on YouTube, aren't they? Yeah. If you're streaming. Well, I don't know. I love you, freaks. I love the live chat. The live chat's important. Yeah. So if you're, if you're contributing to the live chat, if you're contributing with sats via podcasting 2.0, if you have been so kind to give us a rating and a review, if you've subscribed, we really appreciate 
all the support. Episode 200, we're 200 episodes in now. It's pretty crazy to think. Started this this show in September or October of 2018. And we're still here through another bear market. Another one. We're not going anywhere until everybody is like, hey, we already know exactly what you're talking about. We, we understand Bitcoin and the implications of all these stories. Like Until that happens, we'll be here week in and week out. New dedicated feed, rabbit hole recap on the podcasting apps. Love you, freaks. Stay humble, stack sats. Peace and love.